It's another week on Auto Catch Up. Uh, this week we've got a ton of news to talk about. Uh, Apple's iOS 14 brings uh, new CarPlay and Maps features, including EV routing, um, also digital car keys. We've got the new Yaris that's coming inbound to Oz. The new Carnival has been revealed. And um, look, a whole ton more of news. But uh, to, to talk over that, we've got uh, Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo and uh, Mick McWilliams at Low Flight Tech. Welcome back, guys. Ash, I'm Mick. Ahoy. <laughs> All right, so it's uh, we haven't seen you in a, in a couple of weeks, Mick. Uh, what have you been up to? Have you been, uh, been busy as always? Uh, just driving, more driving. I didn't want to talk to you guys, that's all. I was having too much fun driving, so... Uh... <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, so Queensland, not much in the way of restrictions as far as movement. Um, we are, you know, the biggest state that's actually worth visiting. Sorry, WA, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> three, three times bigger than Texas, so lots to explore. Uh, I've been driving around in the Sportage GT, uh, which I quite like. It was a 2.4. Um, not the most powerful um, SUV on the road, but I found it very relaxing and, mm. and comfy. Uh, I love the seats. I love the grey leather. It's one of those ones, you know, me being a um, a fairly traditional type of motoring person, I sort of feel a little bit guilty enjoying cars like that. But um, yeah, you know, it's it, it's built for a certain role and it does its role really well. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, had a lot of fun in that. And um, just to take the SUV um, addiction a little bit further, I had the Santa Fe Highlander with the glorious v6 and it was glorious um I've, I've already talked about how much i like the santa fe previously um but the diesel i know um you commented on it joel that the the diesel can be can be a bit noisy i mean diesels are diesels they are what they are but i do get a bit of diesel fatigue so i had the that sportage gt with the direct injected 2.4 followed by a, a nice direct injected v6 and that was that was a nice break from the the run of um suvs i had before that mm-hmm. and that v6 man it's it's such a good motor like 3.5 litre, and it just, you know, with an eight-speed auto, it, it doesn't have to work hard, but you can make it work hard if you want. And it, was, it was just so easy. In fact, I, I found uh, last year I drove, so I had the Pathfinder V6, I had the Holden Acadia and the Toyota Kluger, which is the, the big one for that segment. Um, and the Santa Fe, honestly, left all of those guys for dead as far as like a full complete product went. Like I've always liked the Santa Fe size. It's not quite as big as some of the seven seaters. In fact, this, the third row is actually kind of puny. So I would, I would probably exclude that and just consider it a five seater and, and use that luggage space instead. But it's just the right size for, I've got a family of five. Um, we did bushwalking and stuff like that through a few sporting things in the back. Never wanted for space, never wanted for comfort, never wanted for power. Everything there was perfect except one thing that I really want to complain about because it's the only thing I could find wrong with it aside from fuel consumption, which is a consequence of all V6 SUVs. It doesn't have auto up and down on the 4 by power windows. Oh, no. only, only the that, is, that is a huge bugbear of yeah. mine. 
of and it's most just cars. the driver's side yeah. too. Even the passenger doesn't get it. The yeah. front passenger, yeah. like really? fifty-eight That's grand. Really? But oh, I've I've actually got a Toyota Corolla SX Hybrid this week, which is whatever thirty, probably a bit under high twenties, yeah. and that's got it. <laughs> you know, like. For for the amount of effort they've gone to putting all the features and all the stuff into that Highlander and making it the very top spec level, why couldn't they spend? I don't know. What, what would it cost them? Maybe fifteen bucks for oh, those not, not for even. those two position switches. Because it'd just be the you know switches. I mean? So you're probably talking like thirty cents each versus. Yeah. 25 it's got to be in the and that's probably and that's probably been generous because the motor surely is exactly the same all it is is a two switch positions and that's it i don't know why any car manufacturer is even a thirteen thousand dollar car surely spending that minute little bit of money on those window switches should I justify yeah. surely I'd love to know any any reality where they just the justification as to why any car at any value yep. point can't have fully automatic windows on every single one given that the motor should be exactly the same all all I can and, yeah. and maybe I mean, like, a designer can tell you me can, can tell you can me possibly I don't you can possibly why. agree right that you would do that to make people move up the line to get to the top, but this is the top. You know what I mean? There's, there's, there's no Highlander Plus or anything. I wanted to make a bad reference about there can be only one, but yeah, the Highlander is at the top. You can't get any better than that, although um, we'll cover it in the news later. The Palisade obviously is the next level up. Yeah, I would be awfully disappointed if that didn't have 4 by power up. <laughs> up and down windows yeah. all in all four slots. <laughs> but yeah, aside from that, fantastic car. Fifty-eight grand is is a fair wedge of cash. Um, the elite, you save about six or seven grand, and you lose things like the um, the sunroof. Which you know, do you really care about that sort of thing? I don't think that's too important. Um, but I, what I would like is the Santa Fe with V six in the active spec because I don't mind their sport tech fabric seats or the active wear seats yeah. or whatever. Yeah. As long as they had, and I think I talked about this last time I talked about the Santa Fe is the option of a power pack where you have the push button start and the remote um, proximity entry mm-hmm. rather than having to press the button on the remote and put the key in the slot. That's, that's pretty old school for a $43,000 yeah. car. It feels aside like from that, the base so there's no, just, it's, there's yeah. no keyless start. There is in the Highlander, but in the in the active model, you've still got a key barrel. Wow, okay. Um, and you get out, stick a handle in the front, crack, crank it around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite that bad, but but yeah, yeah. So that's been me for the last couple of weeks um, mm-hmm. in the SUV world. And I actually found when I got into the into the SX hybrid Corolla. So I picked that up on Monday. But gee, it feels like an incredibly sporty car after driving SUVs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great yeah, actually this- though in that. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I really like the the SX hybrid. It's got the right level of spec. It's got the right things. Like I don't really, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't really concern myself too much with leather. Leather's nice, but 
if you've got a good seat and it's comfortable, I don't care if it's fabric, mm -hmm. which is what the SX has got. Um, but it doesn't go to the extremity of the um, the ZR when you go to the next level up. You're getting things like the the bigger wheels with the profile tyres, which I think are too low and make everything too intrusive and, and bouncy. But I do find the Corolla, they're not the best at... Um, at road noise so the road noise is a, is a bit intrusive in this one but everything else about the package like i've um i've said it on instagram it's my modern vehicle baseline it's got all the things in it that you should have in a modern car these days mm. i don't think i mentioned the auto up and down windows but it should probably be in my list the only thing that are really, where it really falls away is it doesn't have a full-size spare but um, um, i think that's part of the cause these for days. the wireless charging mic uh, yes, it does. Okay. It fits in the it fits in the spot. Um, so I've got the Huawei P30, but it doesn't have wireless charging anyway. Okay. My wife's got the Galaxy S10, I think it is, and that fits and charges fine through the cover. Okay. So that's fine. You've just got to make sure that you push it up against the back of the um, of the pad. Yeah. And then it'll read it and it'll start charging. So yeah, wireless charge is good, and I mean that's a pretty good thing to have at that sort of mid spec. Um, vehicle as well so and of course it's a hybrid so it hardly uses any fuel i've been yeah. giving it a fair bit of stick and getting about 4.3 liters per 100 k's which mm. is just pretty impressive when, when you're seeing out of five mm. liters per 100 it's, it's you kind of feel like yeah this is cool like this is where we should be at like for a hybrid for cars you know if you, if you have an engine running um, it kind of feels like, oh, yeah, you're getting pretty good economy out of that. Anything higher, even in a smaller car, you just go, oh, man, it feels like we're using a lot of fuel for not a lot um, that's behind it. Like I've driven um, some other smaller cars and, yeah, the fuel economy is in the mm -hmm. 7, 8, even 9. Um, like I'm driving, I picked up the, uh, um, oh, what is it, the Veloster Turbo Manual. And um, oh, yeah. like even even driving it a little <laughs> bit sensibly, you're seeing like about nine, nine and a half. Um, really? Yeah, that's what I in in the in the sixty k's I've I've got today, and that was mostly highway driving. That's what I saw. Um, but obviously, it's not enough to to gauge it on. But when you just glance at it at the first yep. time, you're going, "Ah, oh, that feels feels higher than it really should be um, for a car of this size with the engine that it's got." Um, so it's nice to see when you're seeing under five liters, you know, that 4.3-ish. Um, yeah, it's a good figure to, to see sometimes, I think. Yeah, I think for um, for modern baseline cars, for, you know, as I, we've said a few times before, you know, that, that hybrid space is the transitional transport that we've got at the moment before yeah. everybody runs to EVs or, uh, or whatever. Um, so yeah, they've, I mean, it's the top selling passenger car in Australia. So, mm. um, you can't put it down to just being a Toyota because Toyota seems to win just about every segment at the moment. Yeah. Um, but you know, they're selling in, in, um, in very high volumes. And I dare say that is one of the, one of the reasons it's good for, good for fleets, good for for young families as well to keep running costs down mm -hmm. there's very little negative so it's, it's easy to see why they're very popular yeah. um just that back seat bit small um and that luggage area is quite puny that's why why we need the wagon that's exactly <laughs> why we need it. exactly yes Definitely on that page. Yep. Uh, even like the, the sedan's quite good too, but yeah, definitely do with a wagon because I mean, let, let's admit it, they're, they're not going to have any problems selling any. 
Because yeah. anyone that turns up at the dealers and goes, oh, I want a Rav4 hybrid. So we don't have any, but we've got one of these. It'll mm. be just like, okay. Yeah. Um, and not I'm everyone not saying wants... the Toyota buyers aren't discerning, but. <laughs> but not everyone wants to buy an SUV. The wagon is perfect for that, for that people that don't want that extra height. They don't want to go an SUV. Um, the wagon yeah. is perfect for that sort of thing. It's like, you know, the number of times I've seen just in the last week, golf wagons, Hyundai wagons, you know, I sort of I30 wagons and stuff like that, you know, they're not massive, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're perfect. So, you know, they're, they're a good size. They're a good package. And good um, value for money. I think a lot of people exactly. don't notice the, um, don't realize because they don't do the direct comparison of the premium that what they that they pay for an SUV which doesn't always have oh. you know um, better storage fuel economy safety you know all those things that people kind of attribute to an SUV isn't necessarily always true um, or they don't realize the fact because they're not doing that cross shopping with a vehicle in a different yep. segment because that's not how they think when they when a lot of people and I do it too when when you look at something and you go okay if I'm looking at a 50 inch TV I'm going to look at the other 50 inch TVs rather than going okay well what if I I look at one size bigger. I yeah, I know. Me neither, Siri. Um, sorry, that was my watch. <laughs> Every time I raise my hand, Siri thinks it's uh, she wants to to join the conversation. Um, but <laughs> be quiet. <laughs> but you 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 sometimes get a bit you know tunnel focused on on what you're looking at and you don't glance out to see well yeah. what about the size below if i buy the better brand tv versus you know the, the cheaper one in the larger size and what am i getting for that um or or vice versa going up to the next tv up you know because you do pick up other advantages and disadvantages and it helps you make a better buying decision and um maybe we're yeah. pigeonholed because we also every every time you look for a a, a a comparison video um, or, or review on a vehicle, they, they're picking something out of that exact same segment, which maybe, you know, in some cases, yeah, it's fair, but maybe it doesn't give, you know, consumers the best perspective on where that car sits against, you know, the actual competition that you can go out there and buy. Um, yeah. So just as a just as a good rule of well, actually not a good rule of thumb, but for anybody out there listening that's thinking about, oh, do I want an SUV or another one? Just consider that tires always cost more with SUVs. They always use more fuel when you when you're comparing like to like type powertrains. They always weigh more, and they always have a higher wear load on all of their components mm -hmm. compared to cars. Always the same, and you'll always pay a usually about I want to say maybe 15 20 percent premium just to have an SUV with similar yeah. capability yeah and they but don't all those always... other things are true all the tire ratings and everything mm. yeah and they don't always mean um, just because it's labeled an SUV it doesn't mean you can take it off-road either um, not all vehicles are designed but you know they're designed to be road warriors rather than a you know I'm gonna let's take it on it's not it's not like uh, the Subaru Joel that you've been driving um, where you know that is built with a certain you know we're talking about it last week um, with the XV as well where you know that focus is different that that brand builds cars in a certain way for a, t a certain type of market so that's it's always in the back of the, you know, 
part of that design philosophy, but some of these other SUVs are purely designed to never leave, you know, tarmac to never, you know, they're designed to take people to and from school. And so, you know, all of a sudden some of those advantages that you think that you're buying an SUV for, um, you know, it doesn't even fit into the equation for that, um, for that product. Yeah. Just a quick point before I, hand over to someone else i was talking to someone at work today specifically about the uh, i had the corolla hybrid and this is someone at work that i've been talking about she's got a um a kia optima gt that i recommended for it test drive instead of a Camry. So that's still segment to segment, like for like. Um, her daughter, I can't remember what sort of SUV she's got. I think it's just like a little CX-3 or something. Um, it was in for a, um, some body work and they gave her a Kia Cerato as the test car mm-hmm. and she hated it. And I'm like, why? It's, you know, I think Cerato is quite a, quite a decent car. And she said she doesn't like sitting so low. So, uh, and, and her daughter's um, fairly young. So, even though I have the eternal hope that people are going to see logical sense and move away from the SUV craze, it's, mm. it's quite unlikely because, you know, people are getting used to it. But even now it's kind of her, it was her daughter's expectation that the way to drive a proper car, you're going to be sitting in an SUV, you need to be sitting higher and that gives you more confidence. Yeah. So I think perhaps now the market is kind of, you know, addicted to that SUV yeah. height, irrespective of whether it's right or wrong. I like to sit nice and low because mm. that's what I'm used to and that's what I like to do. Also helps with the way that I drive. But I mean, that's I was gonna say, kind uh, of not here nor there. I don't think enough we're, people we're talking understand about... uh, center of gravity. You want that low. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it means you can yeah. go faster. But I mean, <laughs> but, but the same, same point with that as well. I mean, center of gravity is important to some people because of the way they drive, but the way that most people drive, you know, it may not be as important. It's only important when they're trying to in- avoid something like not hitting yeah. a deer or something. But yeah. um, that's not the sort of need that they have right in front of mind when they're buying a car. And I think the market is now getting used to having SUVs as the standard. And like you said, you know, that's that's guiding their purchasing decisions now. It's become the default that they look at instead of comparing against the, um, the, only, the Corollas the thing, and the Cerados and that sort of thing. The only thing that I've seen bucket against that is um, – and, and we can touch on it because we've got a, a Tesla article coming up later in the international news, but mm-hmm. is that even if you look at a Model X and a Model Y, I don't see them as, as SUVs because I, they don't look like an SUV to me. They don't have the the extra height that, you know, when, when sitting next to one, yeah, they're big, but it doesn't look like an SUV because the ground clearance and everything is pretty much the same to a car. But Model S, Model mm. 3 it's kind of been interesting to see their sales success because obviously there's a lot of brand equity going along with them. Um, and they are, you know, a lot of people attracted to them for other reasons, but it seems yep. to be something that they're not put off by it not being an SUV, which, which I've always found a little bit interesting with that because everybody else says, Oh, well, I want an SUV. I want an SUV, but Oh, give me a Tesla any day. Um, and so it's like, well, maybe they just yeah, yeah. need to be making a, a desirable car again. Is that just the, uh, is that is that the hurdle which brands are trying to get over, or, or what? Um, I, I, I reckon Tesla are a bit of an outlier though, because they've got other, they've got a 
a, an additional unique selling point that gets you over that. Like you're not, people aren't buying Teslas to be like the rest of the market. They're buying Teslas to be like other Teslas. You know what I mean? They're mm. trying, they're trying to get into that other, into that other group. So you're saying um, that car brands you know, maybe need to hire a, an eccentric um, CEO and maybe that will help them with their marketing. Is that <laughs> how, how do you reckon if they didn't give up on it, how do you reckon Apple would have gone with the Apple car? Well, Dyson with their car as well. Mm, I think Dyson's probably the best example yeah. because uh. they're, they're, they've – if, if you look at their brand, they've got the kudos in building electric motors, um, small scale, yep. of course, with but electric motors nonetheless. Like, look at what they've been able to achieve, even with the battery technology. The biggest thing that I remember with plugging, like with electric, you know, um, handheld vacuum cleaners, was as the battery died, so did the the sucking power in the vacuum cleaner yep. itself. And so you, you could never get the maximum out of the battery because of how it worked. But one of the biggest things very early on that Dyson were able to achieve was the way that the battery basically gave 100% and then that was it. And so once you got to the end, you knew you got to the end. Your cleaning experience remained the same from the beginning to the end. It didn't deteriorate. And yep. um, and, and that's obviously where they've been able to – and you've seen how they've adapted that to different areas. So um, hair dryers, uh, hair curlers, um, hand drying machines, all that kind of thing. So they've been able to refine how the electric motors have worked. And if you think about the you know the expanding of the pie in your product base, you could kind of fit a car into that equation because you're going well. That's electric that uses batteries. All it is is rather than drying or cleaning something, yeah. it's doing mobility. I don't know. I, um, I reckon you're kind of pushing it a bit there because you're going from um, we're essentially consumer sanitary goods and and cleaning goods into a um a product we like tesla to, which is like a, as a, you know, as a consumer desirable. product it's a consumer product and i think the biggest stretch is with apple is sure they they've got mapping data but but what other relevant pieces of technology do they have in their existing product lineup that would lead to a logical step going from uh, consumer electronics to a to an electric vehicle that's kind of my the leap i see is being smaller from dyson because i've got expertise in the relevant areas versus you know uh see for, for me apple i go infotainment system which they can't already do with carplay um but i don't see that evolving mm. to an entire vehicle versus um you know another another company that's that's just how i see it anyway um would they have sold well absolutely because it's apple um it probably would have carried yep. the same premium that dyson would have had but dyson would have had a harder time selling it because yes dyson is the 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 you know the hot um consumer product to have when it comes to vacuum cleaners and um and other products within your home but it doesn't have the same kudos or you know the the clout which are you know turning up in a yep. in a you know because i could see that i could see the jokes oh you're turning up in your vacuum cleaner versus you're turning up in your apple car 
Yeah, um, nice Dyson. I bet it sucks. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of the C where they would probably charge very similar prices for the vehicles, but and and it's probably the same reason why both of them have abandoned those projects in their current form because they just realized that yes they could afford the amount of investment they're putting into it that's not a question but whether it's actually makes financial sense for them in the long run it doesn't really um but i think but i think going back to it long story short um apple would have sold very well um but it would have been a a, a high-end product not a general consumer product that's what I like the Mac Pro, um, but for cars. That's I uh, at, at the very like beginning the, anyway. Yeah, but their um, <laughs> they had programming anyway to make their um batteries start dep- depreciating in capacity after two years. That's how the that's how Apple rolls, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> automatically hobbling their products. They have to buy a new one. Yeah, that's it. planned obsolescence. Um, but yep. it, it will be it will be interesting to see where the technology both of those companies have developed, where it goes. Because um, if if I know anything about big companies like that, they don't just put it to the shelf and go after you know spending a couple of billion dollars and go we'll never think about that again. Um, it's going yep. to be it might be shelved right now, but there'll be people in there as part of their everyday job going, Well, how can I integrate some of the learnings, whether it's the recharging capability, the motor, the any any aspect connected to it, um, they'll be repurposing that, repurposing that technology yep. into other products, um, to to basically earn or, back- or even <laughs> Yeah, or even uh, collaborations with companies that are still pursuing that particular product to say, hey, we've done that. This is how exactly. we did it. And then, yep. yeah, provide that as um, as IP to the to the collaborative company or joint venture or whatever. Exactly. Mm. Oh, well, um, so you, you, you jumped out of one hybrid Joel into uh, into another from Subaru. How did your experience go this week? Yeah, cool. It was um, – we were talking about the XV last week, which was yeah. – uh, which was cool. It was the first chance to drive a Subaru Hybrid um, and their new system that they've, they've created around this vehicle. And I love the XV. It's a great car. And as, as you and I discussed last week, Ash, it's it, where I took it when I went down the we were, I took it down the Great Ocean Road, Mick, to do a little bit of filming and stuff. And we oh, saw yeah. so many others of them out there. And it's amazing. This week, I've seen so many of them in my travels. That it's pretty amazing that for that. Oh, the XVs. Yeah, they're they're, kind of everywhere in Victoria because every kind of regional area sort of outside Melbourne, it's the perfect vehicle for it, you know. Um, So, yeah, but I jumped into the the Forester and I did the the swap over and uh, when they dropped it off, I wasn't 100% certain what spec it was. So when... um, when we did the swap during the week, it's the S, which is the top of the range. So mm. it's the full luxe spec. So it's got the massive roof, leather seats, um, uh, heated, heated seats. I'm sure you would have liked yeah. heated seats. Oh, I love the heated yeah. seats. I've done some early starts <laughs> and some late starts this week. Um, when Changes we finished, your life. <laughs> oh, when it finished, when we finished up late the other night, I was out in um, out towards the Arrow Valley doing a night shoot during the week. And you know, it was the first thing I did. I jumped in the car when we finished and turned the heated seats on to, to drive back. And then I had an early start uh, another day during the week and I, I had them on first thing. And um, even this morning when I took it back, you know, 
first thing I did when I jumped in the car was uh, was to turn them on. So, um, mm. yeah, look, the the Forester, uh, like I haven't been in a Forester in a couple of years, so it was nice to get back into it. My sister-in-law has one. She has the previous Gen 1. Um, and it was interesting. My brother-in-law, who's quite a big guy, fits in it with no problems. So when they were searching for her, that was kind of one of the things they looked for. And I, I commented during the week when I posted up the pictures of the XV, I had a rather tall friend of mine comment and said, you know, uh, what's it like? And I said, oh, I'm in the – and then I commented and said that um, that I'm in the forester. And he said, oh, what's it like for a talk? I said, well, if my brother-in-law fits in it, you should too. So there's a lot of space in it. Um I loaded it up during the week to put, like, I'm not really tall, so I, I'd be intrigued to see what how you'd go, Mick, but I, I don't think it'd be an issue. But there's yeah. lots of space in it. Like, even in the second row, there's really good seat, um, sort of foot, foot leg room for people sitting in the in the second row. Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of good in, in that in that sense. But what I couldn't get over with, and it was just what one little thing that that blew me away during the week is that it has the for to fold down the second row, it has that order that not it's not auto, it's just a flick switch, and it folds that second row flat instantly. It's that spring loaded clip that you hit in the back from the boot, and it folds that second yep. row down, and oh, it's so good. Like you just literally flick it, bang, bang, and I had to, I had to load the car up with gear during the week to go off to a shoot, um, and it was just these little, you know, basically hit these two buttons and and the seats are folded down instantly. It's just a, something simple as that um, that that it, it just makes everything so much more pleasurable. I mean, like Ash and I discussed last week with the XV, like the hybrid's great, but there's no spare. Um, you're you're bound by having um, the goo effectively and the goo and the pump uh. to 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 do it. So like this thing. So I talked about the the X mode in the XV last week. This thing is another level. The the Forester has um, a snow and a dirt and a, 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 a like it has the X mode, which actually has a dial to actually do more with it. Um, so I, I kind of get that. Like that, that's fine. If you're having a normal Forester S, perfect. It's great. You've got a spare wheel, but going off road or anywhere you're kind of going without a spare I'm a little bit hesitant um, in that in that sense uh, so it was kind of it's kind of a weird thing but I tell you what I love about this car is that the camera system so it's obviously got your reverse cam it's got a front cam so there's a camera mounted in the in the front so that when you're parking up close to things um, really really handy yep. when you're parking in car parks and you're trying to to gauge how close you are, but it's got a passenger side front wheel uh, camera as well. So it's mounted under the passenger side mirror um, and parking at home at my place, I have a tree stump that's off to the side of where we park. Uh, and, you know, I generally have a good feel of where the car sits in the road, but this thing, I literally, when you, when I put it into to drive in, it turns on and I can instantly see where I am in, in the, in the scheme of things um, parking in, in space car parking spaces you can gauge how far you are away from the from the line of your spot um it's absolutely brilliant uh in that sense so just that extra level it's not a 360 cam um but this is a great alternative because you have the two other angles that you need you need a front cam so you can check where you are when you're parking at the front so i've been parking behind my normal daily um and i can gauge the distance there but then obviously that side cam is brilliant um and obviously the reverse cam. That's going to save a lot of wheels. 
Oh, it's going to save a lot of, of, a lot of wheels. Like if you're parking against, yeah. I was parking outside our PO box the other night and I was gauging how far away I was from the curb so that I didn't curb the wheels. Easy, same thing, just line it up and away you go. But the thing that blew me away as well during the week was what I was parking, I was reversing into our spot at home um, and because I needed to load some stuff and it was easy to reverse in, I was backing in and all of a sudden the whole thing just came to a, a, a resounding halt. It had gauged I was too close to the car I was trying to park up against and it set off the emergency rear braking. So it's oh, got yeah. a sensor in the rear. Um, I didn't get managed to do it with the XV, but I did with the Forester. And it enabled me to literally reverse the car up and I, I thought I still had plenty of room but it gauged i was too close and went to a resounding halt um jumped on the brakes and stopped me from getting too close to the car behind um is it is it um is it quite sudden because i did that in the corolla yeah so i I thought i actually hit something it stopped Mm. that fast but it was just like a rear cross traffic alert so a car had gone behind me to the right hand side and i was reversing out and it was it was gone. Like you know, this is the same thing you got with the smart cruise control, where they put the brake on when somebody's pulling off the road. But yeah. you, as a human, know you can predict that car's going to yeah. be gone by the time you get there, so you continue on. This rear cross traffic alert didn't allow me to be human and know that that car wasn't going to be there when I reversed out. So it slammed the brakes on, which gave me a bit of a a bit of a shock at first. Yeah. Like, what the hell was that? But it- nice big red flashing light saying brake. Yeah, it freaks you out, like, but but it's good. It's, it's being mm. extra extra safe. Like Ash and I talked last yep. week about the XV with its because it uses the same um, eyesight technology as what the the Forester uses as well, and it's brilliant. It's yep. brilliant tech. It's great to to literally drive um, with it. Um, and any speed you can set it and literally use it in traffic. Um, you know, it slows it down. It sometimes it can be a little bit slow on braking, like it, it, you, you seem to think you, your foot hovers over the brake waiting for it to do something yeah, um, yeah. because, you, you know, you as a driver, you always like to be like to be safer and things like that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see the way that, that it works. But, yeah, I was just – I just couldn't believe just how good that rear braking was. Um, I did find that the hybrid during the week, it, it, it didn't seem to be – using the hybrid as much as what the XV was. I didn't, mind you, I didn't do as many mm. Ks in the Forester. I probably did double the amount of Ks in the XV than I did than I did in the Forester, but it seemed to be not clicking in as much. But in saying that, though, looking at the, the, the numbers when I dropped it back today, it still saved over a litre of fuel in that time period um, in terms of using using it on. And when I was driving to return it today, it was um, going downhill on a freeway at 80 k's an hour. It flicked into EV mode as it was regenerating to, to save... Um, oh, yeah. To save... Uh, to, to, to click into into that mode, so um, yeah, it was it was can certainly. You, can you select EV mode in the Subarus like you can with the Toyota? Like you hit the no. EV mode when you're doing low speed. No, there's no, no. EV direct mode that you can pick. Um, it does it right. automatically. But generally, what I was as I was saying with the XV is I generally found that driving into my driveway and parking, I could almost complete that entire process on EV. 
Mm. Um, sometimes because there's a slight slope driving back up into the spot, um, sometimes it would kick in just for that bit, but otherwise it would generally do it the entire process in, in uh, EV. Right, so it's more like a like a booster, like having a turbo on your engine rather than a rather than an alternate power source, really. Yeah, it's not it's not using it as Which is as, still a, good. as an extra power source. It's designed to to help to effectively help you yeah. improve your economy. Uh, I got into the eights with the Forester, yeah. but I got into the sixes with the XV. Um, but I did a lot more sort of highway Ks and stuff with the XV on hills and yep. things like that. So it was clicking in a lot more. Um, I'd be keen to, mm. to, to take the the Forester on a, on a longer run, um, but yeah. it's a lot heavier. It's a lot bigger car. There's a lot more in it. You know, it's got the full leather. It, it's um, it's a bigger car. There's more weight to it. There's more space in it. Um, you know, there's a lot more. Yeah, they're definitely not as um, – not like the old Foresters, which were quite a small no. wagon. But even then, it's like, like – I remember – it's not a big car. Like it, it, it is yeah. for the space that you've got in it. It is really, really spacious. But you don't any. No, I had no problems driving it during the week and finding that you know oh, I'm worried about being where I am in terms of trying to park it or whatever yeah. else. You know, there was plenty, plenty of space, uh, plenty of room, and you feel comfortable enough. But as I said, with all the camera systems now, and that's the thing, if you've got a big car now if you've got a good camera system um then it's it's not a it's not a hard thing to park with sensors yeah, not as intimidating yeah no no you feel very comfortable driving it um but i was blown away i, I was just so impressed with it i i did not want to give it back today right so dollars how much for a subaru forester hybrid s that was the only thing I didn't do this week. I, I did that last week. I need to look at the the dollars. Let's take a punt. I'm going to say forty eight. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking yeah about that fifty. That's what I feel like it should be anyway. That's I think I've got a feeling that it's a little bit um it's a little bit under that. Uh, so they start at 40, um, mm-hmm. where the XV starts at 30. So it's about that sort of uh, uh, not so quite 10 I'm, grand price. I'm seeing one for an S, uh, 40 to 50. There you go. So the one I had was a hybrid S all wheel drive, which is 50 grand. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, for what it is, mm-hmm. um, like if I'd seriously thought about it, when I bought my Mazda, I real I looked at buying a Liberty, but if you know, if it was today, for the money that you'd be spending, far out, like, you know, the forest is good is good value. And that that's the hybrid S is is the top of the range, which is fully specced. Um with leather. Did it, and did it have auto up four by power windows? That's a good question. I know it had front and rear and fronts, but that's a good question. I'm not sure whether it had all four. Um, I'd have to look at my photos. I've got obviously part of the review stuff I've done. I photographed everything, but uh, I haven't actually. Oh, yeah. I don't remember off the top of my head what it, what it was. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I've got a, a guy at work had one of these. He didn't have the hybrid though. Yeah. Um, so, so this is this is the MD for the other company that I work in, and he can buy. 
you know, just about anything. Yeah. Um, well, not just about anything, but he had that model um, Forrester when it first came out. And when he went to go replace it, <clears throat> he just got another one. Yeah. So it, oh, look, it I kept can, him happy. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame that yeah. I did the XT. The XT was a brilliant one. It was the turbo. It was effectively a, yeah, a yeah. WRX in a Forester. And it was a great car. Um, I was, you know, if it had been, I love my WRX. I had it for, for two years. It was one of the best cars I've ever owned. Uh, yep. um, and yeah, I'd be more than happy. But the XT now, um, they don't they don't do it anymore. But um, it, no, my sister in law's got one, and she won't get rid of it. No, I, I look, I, I guarantee, I'm pretty pretty sure, guarantee that my sister in law, when she probably gets rid of hers, you'll probably update to the to the new one. And I wouldn't be surprised if she even bought the hybrid because you know she in terms of the Ks and stuff that you do, it's perfect to actually add to it to help um, with the um, with your yeah, yeah, the, the, economy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, my sister-in-law, instead of buying another uh, upgrade, updating a Forester, they just bought an old Brumby to do up instead. So. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Swings and roundabouts. Yeah. I'm sure that's not going to cost them too much money. Well, that's like, uh, you know, Subaru's own Molly Taylor has bought a Brumby and she's putting, um, she's bought a new engine for it. So she's building a bit of a project Brumby at the moment. So I'd love to, I'd love to do that. I think that'd be really, really cool to, to, to do that. Um, but the yeah. other thing that I, um, I really loved about it was, um, Oh, mental blank. What was I going to say? Um, oh, the the system in it is a bigger screen. So the infotainment oh, right, system yep. is bigger um, than on the XV. Uh, and it was just really, really, really good in being able to use everything Um this, the the top screen is interestingly the same. So the, this is the the screen or the infotainment system is split into two. So there's the main screen that you would normally use, but then there's a top screen which has data like angles and engine data, economy and things like that. That stays the same, oh, yeah. but the actual area was good. And as I said to to Ash last week when we we're talking about the XV, both the XV and the Forester are now um, full Apple and Android Auto capability. So Subaru haven't for a long period haven't had that, but now they're they're putting it into more of the models. So it's a, it's a no-brainer having that kind of stuff now. It's it's absolutely brilliant. Yep, yep. So have you been driving something else? Yes, so I, the, the Forester went back uh, today, uh, this morning, and I picked up a Renault Megane RS Trophy. Nice. So, like it. so I've gone Any from one, one extreme to the other and I have literally been laughing all day from the noise this thing makes and the burble and the backfire and, oh, yeah, I got into it this morning and started it at, uh, when I picked it up from um, from Renault and, yeah, it, just the whole thing, it starts and it's like, oh, it's just, wow. It's Happy days. Just, Oh, I, I I literally drove it out from the depot where I picked it up from and jumped onto the freeway. And it's weird that the it's got it's. Uh, I'll talk more about it next week. But the modes in it are really cool, so you can select different modes and stuff like that. Um, it's a little bit like the Mustang having that quieter 
um, option if you want to have that quiet start to feed, to keep your neighbours happy and that sort of stuff. So there is a there is a comfort oh, there's a comfort <laughs> there's a comfort setting, um, but I had it in a in a fairly uh, sort of quieter setting driving on the freeway today. And then um, I drove to where I was trying to do some photography of it. And then um, when after I had a chance to drive it a little bit further, I had a chance to play with some of the modes and, oh, wow, <laughs> exhaust options and, and stuff like that when you actually change it uh, is really, really cool. So, um, yeah, I had a, a what, really... What sort of transmissions have you got on it? It's got a DSG. Uh, oh, right. sorry, E... ESG, I think they call it. Um, it's still a dual clutch. Whatever. Yeah, it's still, but it's it's a cool dual clutch. Like I'm really impressed with the way that it drives. It's like the both the Subaru, both the Subarus had a CVT. Um, yeah. And look, I've driven other CVTs, and I've got to say, Subaru have done well with this. You know, the the CVT in that is pretty good. Um, I mean, us car guys drive things a, probably a little bit harder than you know most general people would 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 uh would drive it so i was quite impressed with the way that it it drives um yep but yeah the the um the renault is uh it has um edc i think it is for for that um so yeah, six speed dual clutch uh, in that, um, and yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Like you could, I could, like I've driven other stuff with it. Um, with you know, uh, like everyone says, it's got to be manual. It's got to be manual. You buy this, and you want to have it as if you're going to buy it as a daily. It's perfect because you literally drive it all day, every day, put it in comfort, um, drive it to and from the office, but then have a weekend or when you want to go to the track, you literally drive it there, you stick it in sport or your race mode and off you go. And the paddle system in it is brilliant. Like it's really, really good. Um, and yeah, it's really, really impressive uh, the way the way that it, that it works. So look, you know, everyone always always said it's got to be manual. It's got to be manual. I don't think so with the with the dual clutch systems now that are out there. Uh, I think that they've come to a point where now it's not it's not important. And I know I'm I'm showing my age being you know I grew up being a car guy. I have always owned manual cars. I've never owned an auto car. My next car, I definitely buy an auto or um, a dual clutch because it, you know. Hold. It, <coughs> oh, sorry. It, look, sorry. I have no problems with it. But the beauty <laughs> of it is, is that if you've got the ability to do that, like it's the same thing. Both the Subarus were, had that same system so that if you wanted to drive it, and occasionally when I was driving the Forester and also the XVs, you stick it in, you've got the ability to have manuals, you've got paddles. And, you, and I think that's the important thing. If you're going to do a dual clutch system and you want people to be able to enjoy having that manual ability, you've got to have paddles. Um, yeah. there are some, there's some other cars out there that don't have paddles but have the ability to put it in the manual. Using the gear stick, no, no, sorry, it doesn't work. It's got to be paddles. Um and it's got it's it it's just it's just that whole ability to just tap down and and particularly in traffic it's just nice to be able to to tap down to drop down a gear uh, and that sort of stuff so yeah it's um yeah I mean looking forward to I'm just uh, planning to to hopefully take it up uh, into the hills to go for a bit more of a, a spirited drive but for the time that I spent with it today um yeah it's <laughs> it's awesome. 
It's really, really cool. It sounds fun. I think the Megan 2 is one of those... Ever since they had the weird bubble butt one come out, I've loved every Megan RS since... They've they've all been they've all stood out all had their own sort of um, unique Frenchness about them yeah. as far as the design goes but they've all been pretty competitive um, hardcore hot hatches I don't think any of them have ever been you know outside the top consideration from any journal in no. any review the Magan has always been there when they talk the, talk about hot hatch stuff so oh it's I mean, yeah. It's impressive. Like this thing is is yellow, so it's called liquid yellow, uh, which is which is really cool. It's really bright, um, like it really stands out. But just driving it today, like you know, you, it's a Megan, it's an RS, it's a trophy. So like it's it's high end in in the in the Renault Sport family. But driving yep. it on the road, it, you could you could easily this is the perfect car to have as as I said a daily driver to drive to the office, but then to take it to the track or go to the hills of a weekend because it is the it is the beauty of having both things in the one car. You can happily drive it. Like I've driven highway Ks with it today and some suburban Ks with it. And look, sure, a couple of bits of road where it was a bit bumpy. Yeah, it's a bit jolty, right? You know, it's a sports car. You, you oh, do, I like it you, rough. Yeah, you, exactly. You do feel the rough. But... That was on one piece of road, which was driving over a small couple of speed humps and stuff, and in a short bit of road that was a bit rough, like not smooth concrete like you would on a normal road. But for the rest of the time, it's brilliant. It's so good. Like it's so on the highway, absolutely brilliant. Um, And as I said, with these different modes that it's built into it, you can stick it in whatever mode that you want and the thing will drive beautifully. and as I crept home tonight, you know, I don't like to. I like to be a nice neighbour, not a not a not a nasty neighbour. I put it into the quiet <laughs> mode, and I, I snuck into the driveway, and it's quiet. It's a date, you know. It's that's the beauty of it is that you've got that ability to do that. But then when you're out in the road, you could put it into sports mode, and yeah, the the backfire and everything else is is pretty cool. I got followed home by uh, a guy and his son in a mini tonight, and I could see them looking and uh, and. Uh, pointing and sort of enjoying looking at at what it was. So, yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's, a, it's a it's a cool car. So, were well, you uh, just driving around switching between first and second? <laughs> no, not even that. It was <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> just even just on the on the on the even just in the auto mode. It, when you it, it, you slow down, yeah. it just backfires and burbles and yeah, it's it, it's cool. I haven't had sort of this much of a smile on my face since I drove a Focus RS. So. Nice. Hey, I think have they got thirty-five profile tires? Is that correct? Yeah, I think they're pretty. Think they're pretty sharp. Yeah, they're pretty sharp. There's not a, not a lot in them. Um, it's running Bridgestone Potenzas, which I did notice, um, which is which is interesting. Um, yep. So yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't made a note. Ah, oh, uh, S 19-inch wheels, but uh, it doesn't say the profile on them. I haven't made that note in my stuff yet. Um, but, yeah, S001 tyres, so they're a, a nice bit of a sticky tyre. Yeah, I do like the Potenzas, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty good. They're um, yeah, they're uh, and they're pretty good on the highway and stuff like that. So um, it's 
it flows pretty well driving around and, and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. Should we move, move so to So, Ash, you've been having – I was going to say, haven't you been having a similar amount of fun in your, your in ride this week? week? Oh, look, it's been electrifying <laughs> um, as an experience. Oh, No. Oh, yes, I went there. Um, no, so yeah, it's been it's been a, it's been a good experience. So this this week I um, gave myself the challenge of uh, essentially not charging at home. I, I wanted to avoid um, and essentially put my put myself in the shoes of uh, some people where they might not have a, a garage or a parking structure which they can park and charge in. Um, so in Brisbane, that could be, um, you know, if you live in an apartment and you have to park on the street, that's a, a common thing. I'm sure down in Melbourne, Sydney, it's all, it's very similar. You see that a lot. And um, the challenge with that is if you own an electric car, you, you can't just run a power lead out from the building across the footpath <laughs> and plug it in. It just doesn't work like that. So I really wanted to avoid charging at home and going about my business as usual. Um, and seeing what that experience was like. <coughs> Excuse me. And it was really, it was really challenging um, because with the Leaf, you don't get as uh, as much of a range compared to some other vehicles. So you're only looking at a, in a, in a best case scenario, like a 270 Ks. Um, but if you run air conditioning and, and that kind of thing, you, you're really realistically getting about 240 to 250, um, depending on what your driving style is. And so that is far enough to be able to comfortably do a day of, you know, running about and that kind of thing. But when you've got to then think about what you're doing the next day and the, or even the day before, that's when you kind of get that little bit of range anxiety sneak in because you're going, well, for me here on living on the south side of, um, of Brisbane, I've got to travel into the city and basically to Hamilton or Toomble to get onto a fast charger because otherwise um, I've, I've got a charger near me well, not too far away, but it's a, it's, a, it's a much slower charge Fox charger. It's a free one out of Coles, which is great um, because it's a slower charger. Even if you do duck in and do your shopping, it's not going to be long enough to get any meaningful distance out of it. It's not uh, a rapid charger. No, so it's not. So that so that only gets out to a maximum of twenty two kilowatts. That's yeah, right. if you're not sharing with um, another car because it's got two cars and. Mm-hmm. Um, and so best case scenario, you can get a max of 22 kilowatts, you know, consider as, as long as everything is working properly. Um, and with charges at the moment, some are really reliable. Sometimes they just won't put out the power that you're hoping for, for whatever reason. Um, and so whilst if you go to a rapid charger, which can charge the car at about 55 kilowatts, um, you can get about to about 80% from pretty much empty in about an hour, which is, is a pretty, you know, that's not too bad. You can, you can kind of deal with that. Um, but I uh, spent a couple of hours sitting in the car park of Coles, just watching uh, um, Top Gear as I waited for the car to charge <laughs> because it was really cold outside. Um, it was about nine o'clock at night. So there was really nothing much on, you know, co- yeah, everywhere's basically shut except for the, um, for the McDonald's and, um, so you're stuck sitting in the car waiting for it to charge and you go, 
you know, that's not really the best experience. Obviously, if you really need the charge, that's great, and it's a bonus that it's free. Um, but otherwise, yep. yeah, I have to travel 20K to get to a fast charger. And, you know, you, and, and I, I drove out to, to the one at the Hamilton North Shore, and um, I posted onto Instagram. Was, was like, busy? Yeah. No, it was. Uh, I had. Oh, a, I did see that. Yeah, I had a mild heart attack. <laughs> you got attack. down to had three k's left or something. Yeah, um, I had. A, I had a mild heart attack because it's in a public car park, but it can be closed off. Um, like they say, yeah. it's it's open between like six thirty and and five or something. Ridiculously short hours, but that's what it's got. You know, on the sign as you enter the car park, and there are two gates. And the first gate that I drive past, it's closed. Yeah, first time in my life I've ever seen it closed, and it's closed. Is that at the like, Eight Street end, is it? Yeah. And it was like it was yep. seven thirty or something. It wasn't even very that late. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding? Am I going to be stuck here? Because I wasn't going to make it to any other charge. There's no other charger close by, um, even no, a slower. Campbell's about 15 k's. Yeah. Yeah, and so I'm like, I'm, I'm. If this other gate isn't open, I'm screwed. And and thankfully, I saw that there are some people on the tennis court, and I'm like, okay, if they're in there, I should be able to get in at the other end. And thankfully, that gate was open, and the charger's working fine. Um, so I was able to plug in, you know, hour and a half because I got down to three percent three percent battery remaining it stops telling you how far you've got. yeah you getting you get anxiety when your oh, yeah. phone gets below five percent you know like or even single digits battery you start getting worried um let alone getting worried when you're getting down to three percent in your car um and there's no just simple way to duck into a petrol station um so that was a bit nerve wracking and it was a bit of, but that was like my experience of to be able to keep on doing what I wanted to do um, and not, you know, go back and rely on having a car charger at home because not everyone does. If you live in on the, you know, if you live in an apartment, most people, you know, having to park on the street. Um, and so I got through the week. Okay. But Either every night or every second night, I was spending time sitting in a car park waiting for the car to charge, and um, and it's not necessarily a criticism of the Leaf because I think the the car does a really good job at fifty or so fifty three thousand um, dollars. It's it's a pretty well priced package. It's got a great sound system. It's fairly comfortable. It's got heated seats at the front and in the rear. Um, so your back passengers can keep warm. Yeah, it's um, cool that it's got that. It's it's well specced in in terms of what it's got. Yeah, so it's got everything that you could hope for it to to have. Um, it doesn't have. It's only got auto windows on the on the driver's door. <laughs> None of the others have it. Um, it's still got a foot operated uh, park brake, which is just the oddest thing in a an electric car that it doesn't have an electric park brake. Um, and given that most other electric cars I've driven have an electric car brake, so it's not a uh, uh, park brake, so it's not even like a consideration of, or if I run out of power, you know. Um, yeah, it doesn't hold the battery. You can't something. get your brake off. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was just, I think it was more of a, a an observation and experience of still the lack of, um, you know, the glaring lack of charging infrastructure that we have here in Brisbane in particular of um, if you live on the south side, there's a couple of dealers with a with a, a charger, but good luck trying to get to those after hours um, or even during That's hours. That's kind of funny too because 
is Tritium are on the south side too. <laughs> the yeah, actual company and, that make those fast charges. Yeah, yeah. I think they're in um, Murray, are they? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and, and, and it's like so. There's so you're really um, struggling. I think the the next closest place for me, if I don't go to the CBD, I think off the top of my head is Yarra Bilba, um, out west. I don't even know where that is. Yeah, so it's back end of uh, Mount Tambourine. Um, and it's one out there. Wow! Wow! Yeah. It's um and and that's simply because it's a new like a uh, new development out there and it's in the sales office so it's I think I think it's a thing to try and attract people to come out and yeah, check right. it out. Um, but last time I was driving the Kona, it was listed to have a compatible um, charging plug, but it didn't. It was completely wrong. Ew. Um, and so I, I remember was that a, the, is that a Charge Fox station or, or uh, EV I think or it was. I think it was a charge point one. Right. Or it could be even charge fox. But anyway, it was listed as having the wrong thing. And even on PlugShare, nobody had corrected it yet. Um, and PlugShare, yeah. if you don't know, PlugShare is the app that um, it's kind of like a crowdsourced charging thing. So you can check in as well and say that, yeah, I'm here. I'll be here for the next hour or so. Um, and then I'll, you know, get going or people kind of share if there's issues with charging. It's really useful, um, but it's not always up to date sometimes. Um, but yeah, right. Yeah, so again, it's kind of coming down to the whole EV experience is let down by the lack of infrastructure. And um, yep. even the Hamilton charger now used to be um, funded by the government to encourage people yep. to, to park it there, but they now charge for that. So that's 20 cents. So it must, must still be subsidized at some rate, um, but that's yeah, 20 cents pretty good per kilowatt still. hour, where the Toomba one is 40 cents. So that's double the price, which is a big difference. Um, oh, really? When did they do that? Because I don't yeah. think they – oh, that's nasty. Yeah, so I – nasty. It's still not a lot, but it's still well, not as bad I, as the I, EV I paid, charger, which I charges about, you to park. Yeah, so I paid about eight dollars for um, a f- to get me from about ten percent to fifty percent. Really, um, in the least. Yeah, so that equates to about one hundred and fifty k's of range um, wow. when you're paying forty cent forty. That's not cents good. Per kilowatt hour. No, so that adds high. up. So it's pretty expensive. Um, yeah. And so all of a sudden that that value proposition starts to change. Um, and so not only are you really inconvenienced by – and also that Toomble, where that EV spot is, I understand that it's there because of the power. Like it's right next to where all the power is and, and that makes sense from that point of view. But you're so far away from anything worthwhile in that shopping center. You're on the roof. It's hard to find the first time. Um, yeah. And you're on the – furthest point away you're on the highest roof the furthest point away from any sort of access you got to go downstairs yep. then down an uh, uh, an escalator and then if you want food you've got to walk to the opposite end um to get any sort of food uh, you, like it's completely in the wrong spot if you get if you go the other way the cinnabon cinnabon is in there now yeah, oh, really? it's super expensive. Yeah. It's not, I don't rate it. It's not that great. It's gross. Try it once. Just a bag of sugar and cinnamon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not as good as the American one. Like, it's good, but it's not as good as the American one. Nah. Oh. But anyway, that's when, <laughs> that's for the food. <laughs> Digressing a bit there, yeah. But look, so yeah, that's that's still the sticking point, and that's where um, it's, it's an interesting um, exercise that we talked about last week and even you know there's more things happening now with hydrogen 
Um, that seems to have yep. picked up a little bit of momentum now, and it'll be very interesting to see at what rate do we see hydrogen picking up because I envision that um, particularly if governments are, are jumping on board and adding cars to their fleet like the ACT have done, that we'll see petrol stations adding hydrogen refuel stations at a faster rate than we're going to have um, – uh, electric charging going. Well, you'd like and, to see that anytime there's a new station being created or or revamped, yeah. that they're putting in a hydrogen tank at the yeah. same time. Because the advantage is, and this is where the the argument now starts to become a lot more relevant in Australia, in particular, is going. Well, do I sit around in a car park for an hour trying to charge up my car and hoping? on the drive there that A, the charging station is working, B, that it's not already taken up by someone, and C, that if it is being taken up by someone, they're actually going to come back when the car's finished charging versus them yep. off out at a movie for two hours or three hours. Um, so they're the things that run in the back of your head all the time, particularly even when I was driving a Hamilton, I'm like, gee, I really hope that in the time when I checked before leaving that the spots were available and the 20, 25 minutes later <laughs> that I was there, that hasn't changed to refill your hydrogen vehicle. Not only is it the most abundant um, uh, element we have in the universe, elements. Um, it is also it only takes three to five minutes to refill, just like filling up your car with petrol. Um, yeah, I think that's that's an important point too from the from the um, from the supplier's perspective as well. Because yeah. like you say, you know, you were there for an hour and a half to fill up your leaf for $8. That's the real estate of that spot. Yeah. The person that owns that real estate only earned $8 in an hour and a half. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. my daughter gets paid more than that to wipe tables at a coffee shop. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, yeah. there's, there's no imperative for business owners to invest in it because they're not going to make any money out of it. No. Whereas like you say, with the, uh, from the hydrogen perspective, um, there's, there's much more potential to make money out of your real estate per square meter. It's worth much more to a business owner than what, what electric cars are. And it, and it's also a lot more straightforward that you have a greater chance of having a universal hydrogen refilling port like you do with a gas filler right now, a petrol filler, where it's unscrew it, yep. connect it, screw it on, and you're good, compared to at the moment with electric cars, because of how the technology has developed, that's been part of the, you know, part of the problem. Kind of like how we've gone through multiple different like mini USB, micro USB, USB C, that kind of you know. Yep. Um, progression is that we don't have one single uh, charging port standard. So even rate of charge, forget that. Just the port itself. And so, if you're a if if you're charge fox, or even if you're a petrol station, an independent petrol station, we go look. I want to add a couple of charging stations to the to the car park. Um, what standards do you choose? Do you go with the Tesla type at hoping that you attract Tesla owners and they won't just go to a Tesla mm. supercharger or Tesla no, you, won't you've got to appeal to or, the other, to everyone else. Yeah, because but, Tesla but are going to go to superchargers. Your Leaf, your Kona, your iPace all have a combination of different charging standards and different and power out. rates. And so do you want to go, well, I'm going to hope for the ones, you know, for the Kona and the iPace because they charge faster or what? Like, or the Leaf because there's probably more in the government fleet than any other one at the moment. Like, it's, it, how do you, 
from a business sense, how do you make that decision and go and know what's worthwhile? Like I can't charge the leaf at Westfield Carinda, which offers free charging in the car spaces because it doesn't have the right plug type. So yeah, well, that's the same up here as well. If you go to the Sunshine Plaza, they only have Tesla chargers. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. They don't have any option for anything else. Yeah, and there's the other shopping center at Kiwana, which has the normal low volt, uh, you know, the the regular um, ten amp. Yeah piece of garbage that you know I, I took ages trying to find where that charging point was because they're hard yeah. to find too yeah. like you say yeah. you know like it's on the it's on the second level in the smallest car park right at the back of the shopping center it's in the cheap where you can estate. plug it's in, in the spot, which it doesn't matter because they they don't want the good car parks taken up with a with a spot that isn't going to generate the return for them like yeah and somebody's going to be there for a long time taking up yep. that spot so yep. um, like but yeah so the reason why thing, Westfield you know, like put it's... in paid parking because they want people to get in and get out because it means more money for them so why they want a car charger yeah right it's i mean really the way that business owners should go about this is instead of having a service station like a regular service station it should be you provide an additional service where you can achieve revenue while somebody's there charging their car so yeah. have a cafe or a restaurant with charges in front of it mm. yeah. that sort of stuff rather than the old models the old model isn't going to work for electric cars but i still i, I still don't think hydrogen is going to be you know, they've got so far to go to be able to get hydrogen transported and supported to regular um, quantities for, for normal for normal uh, private customers. Potentially for commercial stuff, I think maybe they can do it, but... There, there's the a growing sort of thing, network you know? in Germany and, and Europe. There's a slowly yeah. growing network of it. Um, but the thing is, is that car makers have been on the hydrogen bandwagon for a very long time. Like BMW have had... Um, hydrogen seven series vehicles out and about you know doing ferrying celebrities around and everything like that showing you know and, yep. and they were hybrid in the sense of they could run completely on hydrogen or they could run on internal combustion and the reason why they were doing that was to highlight how seamless the the hydrogen supply is and, and that you don't know any difference um between the driving experiences and they've done top speed vehicles they've like a ton of companies have had concept cars and also you know uh, uh, honda i think toyota have hydrogen vehicles yeah, the clarity. um yep. so this is where i think if if we start to get that rollout in Australia happening, maybe we start to see some of these vehicles coming out. I know that Hyundai, obviously, they've got twenty, and they're ADR approved as well. It's not like they're a, you know under a special consideration or a test vehicle. Yep. They meet the design rules. They're ready for sale. It's just waiting. Essentially, they're just waiting for the infrastructure, and the ball is starting to roll now with ACT and now New South Wales. Um, so. Yep. Yeah, you know it, what's it, what's missing for me though is hydrogen. How do they extract hydrogen from a source? What method is undertaken for them to actually get the hydrogen out to create the fuel? Mm -hmm. And what sort of CO2 emissions are expended getting that hydrogen to a state where you can use it as fuel? Because that's you know one of the great things about 
electricity and the reason it's so cheap is because the transmission of it from one place to another yeah. is a much lower cost. Yeah. You know, you're not incurring other fuel, you're yeah. incurring the use of transformers and transmission lines and networks and things mm-hmm. like that, which are already used for transmitting electrical yeah. um, and, and supplies that's, for, and that's for the, other reasons. And that's the question as well, once you start to really dive into the environmental aspect of it is well yeah what are the offsets what are, what are the advantages and disadvantages of having battery vehicles battery based vehicles where um once yep. you know what happens to them at the end of their usable life or if they get involved in an accident what happens to that then um how do you yep. produce those how do you transport those as well there is a transport cost um to getting those batteries from point a to point b toyota very famously at the very beginning when they were you know producing the prius were criticized heavily for that because yeah it had lower co2 emissions but you're building the battery in one part of the world you're building the car in the other part and you had to transport on a ship from you know one of the dirtiest forms of transport from one way to another um yeah and so the the co2 cost it's kind of been it's been transferred in a way you've moved it up the chain a little bit more um and so yeah i worked out that the um I worked out that the CO2 emitted to get a VW Golf from Germany to Australia is the equivalent of already having driven the car for 9,500 kilometres as far as CO2 emissions have been put out, Mm. which is crazy. I mean, it's – but – it, it actually, it's it's a bad number to start out with, but when you put it over the life of the vehicle, it's actually not that bad when you compare it to other cars which come from a closer location but have a higher fuel consumption. Yeah. So they're and the sort of things you could report in a story and people be... would go, wow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so there's a couple, so there's a lot of different considerations when you start to add in hydrogen vehicles. Um, but also mm. at the end of the day, consumers aren't really the most rational people um, and don't do all of that research. No. Um, and so also, <laughs> if you presented, you know, a, a very clever salesperson, if you had a hydrogen vehicle that you were selling and you had an, a competitor selling electric vehicle, you go, oh, well, what plug do you need? Where do you get, where are you going to put that? Do you have $2,000 to yep. pay for the charger at home? Do you know if you're going to find it, you know, when you go out and driving and you get out for the weekend, where are you going to plug it in versus, oh, you just drive to the petrol station like you normally do now, connects the hose and refill yep. it and then go along your way. So you got to think about, so you also add in that customer experience journey and yeah. um and go well the best engineering is the one where you don't notice most, yeah so it's most familiar to them they're going to go well i know how to do that i'll just do that um yep because even right now like i described with this week was a you get you get anxiety when you don't know if when you turn up it's going to be the thing that you need um <laughs> yep. to make sure you can get home again um like that's not a fun experience and also if you do run out of power on the side of the road you've got to either plug in a generator from you know the the roadside assistance it turns up or tow your vehicle um and and yep. take it home versus you know even if you do run out of hydrogen your tow would probably just be to the closest petrol station that has one um yeah so yeah it's it's just at least it's great to have options becoming available i think that's probably the most important thing is to have the ability to to have the option on the table rather than not have it at all. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how, you know, over the time it goes. And 
I'd love to have more charges around um, to make even having an electric vehicle that does have a, a little bit of a shorter range like the Leaf a little bit more enjoyable and a less... Um, less uh, anxiety inducing because the drive itself is fine like it's a nice and quiet vehicle um you know it that means you feel a lot more relaxed anyway um yeah so yeah it's a it's a tough one and it doesn't it's just not solving itself fast enough i think at the moment in australia anyway compared to other parts of the world at least um too true mm. But all right, look, we've spent a ton of time talking about what we've been driving, but let's have a look at what's coming um, and some developments with some news. What do you guys think? That sounds like a good idea. Yes, there's lots been happening. Yeah. All right, so uh, this week, uh, probably the biggest one is Apple had their WWDC event uh, for, so that's a Worldwide Developers Conference, if uh, if you don't know what that means. And um what they normally do every year, it highlights uh, some of the new features in, in the operating systems for their, you know, iPad, iPhone, um, Apple, Mac computers of what's coming. And um, one of the things which they highlighted in the new iOS 14 um, operating system for their iPhone is updates to CarPlay and map features as well. So the, the key things are the uh, digital car key. So that means you can leave the, the car key at home and just have your iPhone, even if the power runs out. Most importantly, if you have a flat battery on your on your phone, you can still unlock and drive your car as well as actually sharing keys with, um, with people. And you can actually have it as in like, a, you know, you can have access just to the boot, either just to the car or even limited driving options as well. So that's really handy if you want to uh, let a friend or a child borrow the car and say, actually, well, I'm not going to give you everything. You can just have a little bit or can you just grab something out of the boot for me? So that's really handy. The other thing is um, the uh, car uh, maps features, um, the new things that they're rolling out for, for cars in particular is the electric vehicle routing. So, um, and this is to be confirmed or that's come to Australia in the first wave or not, they haven't really said so. But what this means is that if you're driving an electric car, you can say, give me an EV friendly route. Now, some cars like the Kona um, from Hyundai actually already have this built into the nav, but this means that you can have this option set into your phone and when you connect it to your car, it's going to give you the friendly route. So it, it really comes in useful if you want to maximize your driving range. Um, and also they have another feature that particularly is handy for, for foreign cities, which have like the um, the congestion tax or the, the pollution tax for driving the CBD. So you can now um, specify to keep me out of the hotspots and it will find a route that will go around those and keep you out of those areas. Um, so, yeah. As I, like, well as I like this, this statement though, Ash. Um, so the, yeah, so the appleinsider.com article that we're reading. Mm. Uh, new app types are also coming into iOS 14 CarPlay. EV charging, yep, parking and quick food ordering are all coming to CarPlay, blah, 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 blah. We could see a charging station app that shows you the latest EV charger for your vehicle nearby. So handy for you. Uh, and an app to yeah. order pizza while you're sitting there waiting for it to charge. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that would have been that happy, that would be handy for you last week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It would have, would have made the time go a bit better, that's for sure. <laughs> yep. Would have been much better sitting there eating a pizza rather than just sitting out in the car park yeah. by yourself. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, the um, the car. I think the um, 
the key is is a big thing. Yeah, um, yeah it's massive. Especially when you look at like you know they had the issue with uh, Tesla. I don't know if it was earlier this year or end of last year where they went offline and nobody could actually get into their cars. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if this has got an offline option. I think yeah, they so did say in the, the in BMW, they said if you're in remote. Yep. Yeah, so pardon the pun, but the key thing about this um, <laughs> feature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you're full of them this week. Yeah, I know, they're good. Uh, but so this, you can't just retrospectively do it to a car that you already own. It has to have new hardware built into yeah. the car, which allows you to mm. use the NFC built into the, the phones interact. So it's kind of like how, um, and people who live in Sydney will particularly know this way, you can actually use like the express key or the express card option um, in your phone. So it automatically has that preloaded into the NFC. So without even powering on your phone, you can just tap it and it'll take it off like your, your transit card. So what this uses is completely offline. It doesn't have anything to do with the network. Your phone can even be dead. Um, it doesn't have to have power mm. for n- for a number of hours afterwards, so it's not permanent. But as long as it has um, some sort of residual charge in it, even if you can't power the phone on, it will still work. Um, so if you had a really long day mm. at work um, and you haven't had a chance to, to plug it in or not and it's dead, you can still walk up to your car, tap the, um, the NFC in the back of your phone onto the handle, and get in and, and drive away. So that's really, um, I guess, the really good thing. And the only thing that requires network access is just if you're sharing access to another person. So you say, look, for the next hour or so, for the next 12 hours, I'm going to give Mick you access to, to drive the, the BMW um, yep. I've got. And uh, that will just transfer and give you temporary access to, to that car. But, um, yeah. This is obviously um, going to go a long way to car sharing too. Yeah, so it's a good thing for car sharing. It's a good thing for security as well um, because it's not obviously exposed to the network in some, you know, it's it's kept within the wallet. It's kept within the securities, the secure part of um, the phone enclosure where your credit card and everything is stored as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really cool thing. Great for, um, for families as well. No one has to worry about where the key is or losing your key. Um, the only thing that we just need now now is like a digital ID so you can just leave home with your phone and you don't need a wallet you don't need a key you just have you you know you just jump in with your phone and you're good to go yeah but yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's very cool. It's going to be nice to see some of these things. Like even, um, I know that I've got friends who like to send like a voice message rather than a, a text message. And so now, even with those things with the improved Siri um, capability, that is getting send, super lazy. Yeah, but you can send, but you can send a quick little uh, voice message now rather than. Um, you know, not being able to reply that way. So it's just, I, I think overall, this is nice quality of life updates for um, a lot of a lot of this. Um, but yeah, I think it's all good. And um, expect, so the, the public beta will be out um, sometime next month. And um, if you want to have it, give it a try yourself on your iPhone, I wouldn't recommend it really um, to be running a beta on your <laughs> everyday phone but if you're brave go for yeah, it I, that, I probably will play with it um but the full release probably will be i'd suspect i think typically it's around september so um expect more info around that time with those new features coming out 
Um, and BMW, the new 5 Series, is going to be the first car that supports that car key functionality as well. But I assume a lot of people, uh, a lot of car makers are going to be jumping on that. Um, uh, yeah, it is actually part of, uh, of the global standard. So um, the Car Connectivity Consortium that um, is actually running the standard for this for the actual car key. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of other manufacturers that are involved in it. So um, General Motors, Honda, Hyundai, and then you've got LG, Panasonic, Samsung, Volkswagen are all in there. So avoiding this chatter mode um, versus Tesla electronic plug-in issue Mm. Um, isn't an issue for this one. It looks like everybody's got together on this and is all trying to do a um, a standard of yeah. um, key access for automobiles, mm. you know, a, an automated um, key process to a singular standard rather than everybody trying to do it different ways, which is which is good to see. It'll, yeah. it'll make everything work a whole lot smoother. And it arguably should make car keys more secure than they are currently. Um, as well, because you're not broadcasting a, a, a frequency out to unlock the car either. You know, I was um, wondering about that too, because you can still do NFC scanners. This is a thing that's been around for a while, and particularly when you've got that consortium working on it, I'm sure it's uh, they've had many, many discussions about um, about that. Yeah, you would expect aspect. it's going to be fairly robust by now. You hope so anyway. It could be a, a glaring thing um, that gets overlooked and uh, <laughs> the first day it needs an update uh, to put out. But optimistic, it's obviously the... F- I think um, having Samsung on there as well should mean we should see is a very similar type of thing coming to Samsung phones as well at some point, I I imagine. Yep. Yep. But yeah. well, let's, uh, let's talk about something that's... Uh pretty exciting it's the new generation yaris looks like it's uh coming in very hot uh what is it here um, like so launching launching in august mm-hmm. uh basically they've changed from four cylinder to three cylinder which seems to be the uh the kind of thing that most of them are doing for these small sort of um compact cars now um ford did it with the yeah. fiesta um it's going to be offered in in three grades um with two of them being available as a hybrid option as well so um 10 percent jumping power to 88 kilowatts um through a direct shift cvt but you know it's 4.9 liters per hundred which is pretty pretty yeah. impressive for a small car um well 10 and 15 so that's 15 percent um improvement on the efficiency and 10 percent more power so like when you're talking those numbers that's not insignificant um for a car yep. like this so it's a uh, it's pretty nice to see and it's not very often do you see more powerful and more efficient you know in a low end in a low end uh, in a compact car like this and apple and android auto as well in a seven inch mm-hmm. display so you know for a car of that thing that sort of size yeah um you know rental fleets it's it's perfect and that sort of stuff um but they're going to be a zr version as well with 16 inch alloys rear spoiler head-up display blind blind spot monitoring (laughs) spoiler intelligent front and rear parking sensors sensors sports seats pedals um and paddle shifters like in a zr that's awesome for the yaris that's really cool and 12 paint choices 
Yeah, that's what I like. Hopefully, it's it, not. It seems nine like a lot for Toyota, don't you think? <laughs> yes, fifty it's shades of grey. <laughs> for that, for that car, like they're they're pushing for that entry point, first car market. Um, you know, it's yeah, it's going to be interesting. The same thing. There's no pricing, unfortunately. I'd be really intrigued to see what it's going to sell for. Mm. Um, but it's here in August, which is literally only sort of a month away. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm in. I'm intrigued. So to see to see what it's like, but yeah, it's it's well it's well specced for for what's gonna what's gonna I'm, come with. I'm I'm interested in the fact that it's become a a 1.5 liter three cylinder rather than a 1.5 liter four cylinder. So what's the What's the trade-off there? I assume there, um, maybe it's uh, maybe got a longer stroke and it's saving a little bit more space to fit the the hybrid um, components under the bonnet or something. But why would you change to the three-cylinder? I'm, I'm not sure what the practical somebody, benefit of it somebody is. Somebody really wants that three-cylinder sound. I think somebody, <laughs> somebody in the engineering yeah. said, oh, I really want that three-cylinder um, sound, particularly, if, you know, if they think about a GR. Yeah, if I've only got 88 kilowatts, I want it to be throaty. Yeah. That's it. Well, but it I mean, so it's you, a lot uh, of power for a car that size, given that, you know, um, uh, that 80 to 90 kilowatt range not too long ago, uh, an E46 318i had 88 kilowatts or about 90 kilowatts of power um, in a car yeah. much bigger than that. So... You can see sort of how far, you know, and how small of a car, 80, 80, like 88 kilowatts is not to be sneezed at in a car that's no. And for no, a 10%, no. 10% jump at that at that amount, that's, a, like you said, Ash, that's a significant amount. Yeah. Yeah, no, so it should be but a nice like, city car. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. And, of course, we're <laughs> let's, let's not talk about the GR yet, but. Um, yeah. That should be interesting as well. Well, that's due to come around the same sort of time, I believe. So it is this year. So, yeah, it's uh, rubbing your hands with glee, getting excited about that sort of stuff. I just need yep. uh, Formula One to come back to distract me from the thoughts of the GR. Only <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of weeks to go. That's Nearly it. there. Uh, next week, next weekend. Can't yeah. wait. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Never thought I'd see that day, but yeah. So that's really, uh, really positive. Um, let's we're going to just fire through some of these, I think. Um, so we've got the MG HS Essence um, pricing spec, and uh, I think it looks pretty, pretty tidy. So there's um, already the Vibe and the Excite models, um, and now the Essence is basically the fully equipped, top of the range um, model at a pretty, pretty reasonable thirty six nine ninety drive away. But it's um, it's picking up the specs and stuff that the the previous models were missing. So yeah. we're now going to get panoramic sunroof, which is what you know the previous models didn't have. Three sixty camera, which is yeah. great to see in in something of this sort of size. Um, you know, it's really, really, really good to see. Same sort of engine as what it's been running. So it's the one point five liter three cylinder. Mm. Um, I'm but really yeah. liking the seats they've got. Really sporty. Oh yeah, all really one comfy. kind mm, of seat. Nice big bolsters. Yeah. Mm. Now they've, they've done yeah, a really good job. And TFT instrumentation too is um is pretty handy. What was that in? Oh, that's what the um the Highlander had the same thing as well. It's you know when I first saw them starting to come out where you replaced the dials with um digital instrumentation. Yeah. At a time I thought, eh, it's a bit of a 
it, it's a bit naff, you know. It's just a kind mm. of mm. a thing to to try and look impressive. But mm. you can, when you can have the ability to be able to change those displays based on the importance of whatever you're doing at the time, it actually becomes quite handy. And it's they're much easier to read. Like you can have bigger numbers on there if you mm. need to. You can have the focus on an RPM and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. these are. Um, they're actually a pretty handy feature, so it's mm. good to see um, MG pick these up as well. Yeah, so you have uh, the 8-inch infotainment with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, sat-nav, 7-inch driver digital display as well, so that's in your your mm. dash, complemented by the dials, 18-inch wheels, leather trim interior, electric opening tailgate, dual-zone climate control, and it must be a magical number, the 1.5-litre three-cylinder turbo. Um, so they've got a three-cylinder <laughs> yeah. as well, but obviously that turbo is making a bit of a uh, bit of a difference as lot well, along with the seven-speed dual clutch because it's producing 124 kilowatts and 250 newton of torque. Um, yeah, but it's only two, roughly two grand more than the previous um, model uh, essence. It's it's like. Yeah, it's the essence in compared to the vibe and the excite. The essence is only a little bit more, so it's it's quite impressive to see the way that it's been priced in it all. Yeah, um, and for the extra stuff that it has, yep. um, having driven the the excite, um, it's yeah, it's great to see that that extra spec and mm. for what it is, you know, it's it's five cap and star. Um, the warranty on it is absolutely brilliant in terms of what they're they're offering, um, mm. which is the seven year un- unlimited case. Um, yeah, and there's I'm more dealers popping sold up. On, you know, I'm, I'm kind of dis- uh, disappointed. No, I'm I'm not as inspired as I am for the other MGs. So, what's the little MG called? MG three. It's, it's yeah, like it's it's got a much more attractive hard edge kind of style, whereas this one looks I don't know. <laughs> It, it, it already kind of looked a little bit Mercedes, yeah. a little bit Jaguar. yeah, but it's, it's come up from from the previous gen HS and the GS. The new design is mm. really really nice, so it's come a it's come a, a definite change in that. And the MG3 was one of the first to to start with that styling, so the HS has followed yeah. suit with that. Um, but yeah, hopefully the guys they'll hopefully get a couple of MGs up there for you guys to test in Queensland because having driven it, yeah, it's I'd be really keen to hear what you guys think um, of them. And hopefully now that the Essence is here, hopefully they might put a couple on press fleet and you guys can uh, check them out. Yeah, that'd be nice. Well, yeah, it's, um, yeah, cool. shut. Sharp pricing, so I expected to. Um, you know, MG have done really well with their. Yeah, uh, and their dealer network is expanding constantly. Mm, mm. Uh, but uh, let's let's shuffle on now. Let's go into the next uh, bit of news, which I think we've all probably all a bit excited about. Um, oh yeah. Is, uh, and it didn't really come that far behind the tees last week. No. Um, which was the new fourth generation Kia Carnival. So we have our first images of it, and um, I'm really liking it. To me, oh my it, god, oh yeah, <laughs> it, it looks a little bit uh, very American. It looks very American. The yeah. back end of it looks a little bit Arcadia like. Um, yeah, a little bit of um, Odyssey. 
Yeah, so, but, oh, man. You know what it I reminds me of? I don't know if you saw many when you're over in the US, but the Pacifica, which yeah. was the Chrysler. Yeah, same sort of thing. It's basically yeah, a minivan with a bit more bonnet. It was sort of a yeah. bit of a cross between a wagon and a minivan. I'm mm. getting that kind of vibe here. Yeah, okay. Um, and I like in the it. press release, it says SUV-inspired design, um, and they, they've extended that towards the back. So that, that I think they've basically, they've, it's probably the most accurate bit of press release I've seen it's in a very long time. It's got the SUV in the rear. But the beauty of it is, is that it still has that little bit of carnival feel at the front. Yeah, like it it's an up, it's an updated tough, front. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It does look really tough. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I did like the um, I did like the Ford Flex, another one they had in the US as well, which was a, oh, yeah. um, more of a wagon focused, big mm. square, boxy type thing. I reckon this is in that same sort of vein where they've gone. You know, I'm not I'm not an SUV. I'm going to be a um, a bigger wagon type yeah. thing. And I think they've run with it here that the detailing on the front of it just looks, I personally don't like the Sorrento at the moment from the pictures that I've seen. I have to see one in person, mm. but the detail of this um, front end on the, on the carnival is looks pretty awesome. Yeah. Look, I don't even have kids and I, I can't believe that we're at a thing that we're talking about. Um, how, you know, how excited we're relatively we are excited about a minivan. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's great. And, and it's, I love how they're saying that it's their new grand utility vehicle. So it's a GUV. That's it's it's interesting kind of catchphrase to to use for it. But yeah, it it's fit it. like we've, we've spoken about yeah. Carnival before, where it is extremely practical. Like if even with the seats out. You get a ton of space in the back for whatever you're moving. It is really configurable through that middle part. If you've got really long items that you'd wanting to, you know, you've you've seen a garage sale on the way home, and you said, "Oh man, that guy's got a great long table that you know that we really need." I'm gonna pick that up. You yeah. don't even have to think twice about can I fit in the car because it's gonna fit. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt about that. And and so look, I, it. It's a bit cheesy. It's a bit, you know, it's kind of like BMW with the SAV or, or whatever they called it, the, um, you know, when they did the coupes and everything like that. But, um, you know, GUV, I, I don't really love it, but I can see, like, it, it's absolutely justified. Like, it's unlike any of those other ones. Like, this is, you know, yeah, it is a, it is a utility vehicle. It's just not the ones that we're used to. But, yeah, it, it, it will do the job, that's for sure. Yeah, it's impressive for what it is. I can't wait to see him here and and to get behind one and and give it a drive and just see what, you know, what it's like in terms of whether they've changed uh, sort of underneath. But yeah, the the design is really really sexy. I have a I have a slight feeling that based on the dimensions that I'm looking at the photo, like obviously it's just a a photo or a render or whatever. um, But I I think the underpinnings are probably going to be about the same. um, But we'll just see some of the visual updates. Um, throughout, unless they're doing anything ra- radical, like you know, introducing hybrid or something like that. But um, yeah, I think I, I might have read or heard. I, there probably would have been a rumor though. Yeah, that, um, yeah possibly the hybrid, so the two point five hybrid. Yeah. But um, but I, so I suspect it will be relatively unchanged under the hood, but it will just be an updated interior and updated um, and obviously the exterior. Uh, but they're not showing us any interior photos at the moment, just the exterior. I think um, I think I'm starting the rumour that they were going to put the Stinger 3.5 twin turbo in it with all the drive. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that somewhere. I'm pretty sure that's what's happening. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Unnamed sources, we'll, we'll call it that. Unnamed sources yeah, yeah, that's right. Said, 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so expect that. So in terms of uh, details of when it goes on sales, uh, on sale, they're saying um, no specific information at the moment, but Kia's domestic market, Korea, um, going on sale later in the third quarter, so the next few months um, with global sales and um, you know, and the rest of the markets to, to follow. So I'm probably expecting um, early next year. What do you guys think? Yeah. 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 I think, I think so. realistically, I mean, that's probably when we'll see it. you got to consider everything else going on in the world as well. Actually getting one right. over here may be a bit of a challenge at the moment. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, talking about... Uh, Domestic, um, the, the 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 never-ending saga for the Holden dispute um, between dealers this and General Motors. Um, yeah, it is. Um, it, it, it feels like this this latest press release. So Holden released a, a press release um, with a whole heap of words and figures, and I, it's like they 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 had to say something, but they didn't say anything. It doesn't seem like they've changed from their current offer position. Um, they've, they've, you know, I don't know. What did you guys get out of this uh, press release? Kind of like the fight is still an ex- still continuing. Yeah, I I did get an extra um, tidbit out of this that I didn't pick up previously. Uh, So GM Holden is providing additional compensation to dealers for unamortized capital investments, special circumstances, and dealers who are solely dependent on Holden. So I knew the bit about the solely dependent on Holden and the special circumstances bit. I didn't, I hadn't picked up previously that they talked about unamortized uh, capital investments. So uh, a few of the dealers went to the Holden dealer of the future or future dealer or whatever they wanted to call them um, last year. So there's a bit of... um, help there i think one of the other things they've added in here uh where is it's further on down the bottom um so essentially you know they're talking about the fact that they're offering 1500 per um car sold Mm. which is pretty reasonable but they have added on in here that they haven't reduced it based on the reduced market um, collapse that's happened at the start of this year so they haven't yeah. said hey everyone else is doing terribly as well we're mm. going to offer you less because the monthly sales volumes have dropped so you know I, it, it, it's difficult it's like you say they haven't really added anything new in here except perhaps that last statement about how everything else is going terribly so hey now look at our offer that we gave <laughs> yeah. you it actually looks pretty good be thankful because for the you offer. Know, if yeah. you had us yeah you had us still been here you wouldn't have sold anything yeah um i, and, I don't really think it's going to reiterate that mm, yeah well they re- reiterated that the uh the offer that's on the table which is the 1500 per vehicle um based on 2019 sales um obviously that expires on on june 30 and um obviously they're you know, who knows where it goes from there if they if the dealers are still talking about this. But this this press release was still was only released on the twenty fourth of June. So um that would have been what's that a couple of days, Wednesday and um the end of financial year of you know, that's six days including a weekend. Um it's kinda like a you know when your teacher sends in a reminder email that your assignment's due in a couple of days, <laughs> don't forget about it. It felt like it was also hey, on like, Monday. 
yeah <laughs> like it felt like it was that kind of like reminder of um whilst you're whilst you're squabbling about our really good deal is going to offer it you know it's going to end at this point and um you know we can't be sure of what it's going to be afterwards we might revise the offer um because you know things have changed what, what- what I'd like to read is the other one. So at the start of the press release, it says GM Holden received the Australian Holden Dealers Council's most recent yeah. letter regarding the dispute resolution late on Monday, 22nd of June. So this is supposed to be a response to that mm-hmm. and moved quickly to give its uh, contents due analysis and consideration. So basically, like you said, they didn't really change their tack at all. They had a look no. at the letter that they got on Monday and then they sent out the teacher's reminder on Wednesday saying, hey, what we said last week is still the same as what we're saying this week. <laughs> That's right. So tough titty. Um, but are, it does are not working. Um, we're not going to give you the extension. Yep. It's, uh, you yep. know, that's how it is. I don't care if your dog ate your homework. That's yeah. that's not. I'm not in charge of your dog. And, um, and when you look at it, this is a really interesting. And I say this every single time, but this is a really interesting case study. And I feel like with and, and it's a bit hard because we don't know exactly um, what the other side is saying, and we can kind of really only go yep. about what's been put forward here. And that's an important thing to remember. But yep. it's almost like a really great case study on how not to handle a negotiation. This is just feels like the wrong way to go about it um, because I think from the very beginning, Holden have not changed their position and it kind of is like their first offer was their best and final and that was it. Um, they, they did put in this one though um, and this actually, this sentence did actually stand out to me when I read it previously. For the team at GM Holden, we are still heartbroken by the decision in February to retire the Holden brand and the impact on our Australian dealer network. Now, the initial read of that, I get it because I'm kind of heartbroken too. You know, I've had Mm. nine nine Holdens. Um, They've been a big part of my life and I've certainly been a fan of Holden for um, for many years. So I still got that same thing. Mm. But you know, when when that hangs in the air with the other accusations that are being made through, um, and I know this is part of the Australian Holden Dealer Council's accusations as well, and a whole bunch of other people have said, hey, you really knew that Holden was closing before February and you didn't yeah. tell anybody and we're still yeah. invested, and this is what the whole fight is. Mm. You know, it's sort of... Um, it's I don't know. Like it the, doesn't the... make that statement about heartbreakers like invalid, but it just right. it takes away some validity from that yeah. um, from that statement. I don't well, know. I think it, it, it's well the way that I read it is that GM Holden, the staff that are working, you know, in Port Melbourne, um, are the ones that are genuinely heartbroken because I, I I think a lot of them did not know. Yeah. It was. I, I kind of, and, and and for me, it's always felt like an. Oh, it, it, it wasn't like a it wasn't a Salmon Street decision. Yeah. No, this was a. It's almost like it's a way for General Motors themselves to dodge the accepting the responsibility of the decision that's been made. I feel like that because it's you know it's it wasn't you know and and maybe the way that that sentence is phrased is even a way to subtly point it in the direction of General Motors because it goes yeah. for the team at GM Holden, not the team at General Motors. Yeah, it doesn't say General Motors. That's right. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like, and I, so when you when you take it with that grain of salt, you go, yeah, absolutely. The GM Holden um, team is, you know, because they're on the dodge, they're on the sucky end of this as well. Um, mm. Where yeah. 
General Motors are the ones going, well, we're just severing the tie. We're just talking about how much it's going to cost us. Um, and so, but unfortunately, the way that all of the the angst, particularly from the Holden dealer council is going, you know, it's directed at Holden when, um, you know, it, yeah, it, yep. I just feel They're like. killing the messenger. Yeah. Um, and, and it's really unfortunate the way that it's gone down and the way that obviously, yeah, how the decision was being made because there have been a few articles that come out of people that have um, spoken off the, you know, um, un, being unnamed about, you know, how they suspected that this decision was happening a lot a lot sooner. I think the last one that I saw was talking about how the decision was made on a plane, you know, the flight home from uh, from Detroit. Um you know, the last time last visit they did there. So yeah, I think um and given that some dealers had only been investing in that dealer of you know the future you know, their future yep. vision of Holden and all that kind of thing only last year is a bit of a slap in the face. And even though it probably loses sight a little bit of the wind down negotiation itself, because it is kind of two issues when you made the decision and what the offer is on now, kind of, it doesn't matter when they made the decision, what's on the table is, you know, it's like, it's, it's irrelevant um, because yep. the anger pointed at that is not, doesn't help with your negotiation on this side. Um, and I'm sure that the, like what you, you noticed in this press release is the, um, um, the unamortized investment that had been made by some of those dealers is probably a, an, a subtle tactic to go. Probably the most vocal people who are upset about this saying we're putting in things to help you to get this across the line by yeah. giving you extra money via this method that can be, you know, that can be justified in another way rather than increasing the pot for everybody um, affected. Yeah, they're picking and choosing the additional. Yeah, because that's a discussion that not every dealer is going to be completely, you know, savvy to how much one dealer invested into their dealership you know, the, the fit out of the new one versus another one. Um, yep. It's not known by everyone. I'm sure they have a good general idea, but that's any, that's nothing, you know, that will be the agreement between that dealer and, and GM versus, you know, part of the, the overall deal. Um, but yeah, it just, so I guess to put a, to put a lid on it, what do yeah. you think? Does this press release made Holden look better or worse? I'm going to, I'm going to say better, but only by a, a smidge. It's better only if you actually analyze it. If you read it as it is, it doesn't. It's it's just you see it as being the it's same nothing. thing. Yeah, it, it's a. What about you, Joel? Yeah, look, it, it's an it's an interesting thing in terms of the way it reads. Um, look, they're I kind of from from both sides. They're obviously trying to come to a decision. Um, they're trying their best, but for dealers, you know, those that have invested money in building new dealerships and stuff like that it's hard but yeah i can see it they're trying to come to as a business they're trying to come to a decision that they work reckon it's worth this much and whatever else but yeah and look at least the conversation's happening um and they're trying to come to a decision but yeah it's it's not going to be good at the end of the day no matter which way you look at it so quick fire round do you think they're gonna reach a deal on june 30 or not I think I might get pushed over. What about you, me? <sighs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if I can give a quick answer to that, but I guess one, one of the concerns that 
I'm sure many of the dealers have isn't just now holding leaving, which is one of their significant problems, but they've also got the other problem, even in the case of multi-franchises, that their yeah. business has gone in the toilet recently and they're going to want as much money as they can possibly get. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're just, they're just going to have to come to it as, to a point where they say, okay, we've held on long enough. Let's, let's get some actual money out let's of it now it. rather yep. than holding on for another six months and getting mm-hmm. another $10,000. Yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah. Yep. Don't forget, they're paying for legal I- advice as well on top of this. So <laughs> um, the longer it goes, yeah, that's the right. they end up paying. No. And it starts looking uglier too, and they're going to be left behind. Like all the dealers are going to be left behind, and Holden mm-hmm. is not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's move on to some more positive news. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it seems like uh, our our requests. Thank you, Hyundai, for for listening to the podcast and uh, responding directly to our requests. But. Um, <laughs> That's how well, I'm, going to, I'm going to claim it anyway. We can claim it. Um, but it seems like the, the Palisade is confirmed for Australia. So Yes. Awesome. Another news. SUV um, <laughs> to, to take on the Kluger, the CX-9. And, um, boy, this uh, I've got high expectations for this one. I love it. Can't wait to, to get behind the wheel of it and see yeah. it on our roads. It's great. It's fantastic to hear that it's that it's been confirmed that it is coming. Um, look, let's all stick our hand up for a press car whenever they become available. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's really really cool news. Uh, I'm excited seven, to see it here. Eight seat configs, petrol and diesel drivetrains. Um, yeah, plenty of options for everyone too. <laughs> Sixteen cup holders. <laughs> so American, isn't it? Hey, I think does that. Um, what was the tally in the um, in the Toyota Ash? I don't think it had sixteen cup holders. No, in the uh, in the Grand Via. Well, I think it had seven USB ports though. Yeah, it had more USB ports than any other car that I've had. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think the I think the Hyundai will probably take the cake for the most cup holders because that's that's two for every person if you go the eight seater. Um, so, Which is crazy. Yeah. I'm not sure why you'd have 16, but... Well, a water bottle and a coffee. There you go. So, but, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know, guys. I, it's it's an eight-seater, so this is really taking the SUV... No, but it's also, there's a seven-seat option as well. So you can have the, yeah. it's the rear middle seat delete for the second row to have the walkthrough. Now, that's cool. We don't see that a lot of that in Oz in an SUV. I mean, obviously, the Grand Via has that option. But, yeah, it's, um, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm speechless. I can't, I can't wait to, to, to see it here. And the fact that Hyundai Australia has managed to lever the US to be able to tool, change their tooling to be able to build it in right-hand drive, um, that's massive, you know. Um, yep. It just yep. shows a lot of belief for – and I just hope that it turns around and it sells and that it does well. Like, mm. it's a perfect opportunity for – look, we hope that, obviously, the tourism industry bounces back from COVID, but it's a perfect um, – it's going to have some tough competition because it's a, it's going to be a carnival competition. You know, the carnival has been one of those cars that's on rental fleets for people that want multiple uh, seat 
and model rows to carry multiple people, but this is going to be a great option for that as well. So it could do really well with um, with rental fleets. That was going to be my uh, next question, guys. So Carnival or this? this. I'm going to pick this because it's got a 3.8 litre V6 out of the Genesis, which I love. Yeah. Um, with the eight-speed auto, so that's that's going to drive very nice. But it is going to be big, and we we did just argue that when you go for the SUV option, you're going for something that's bigger, higher, higher centre of gravity, more weight, more expensive. I don't know. Is that argument still persist with the Palisade versus Carnival? <laughs> Stop it. You're putting argument? your logic against us. You need to look at ground clearance options. So you need to see what – I mean, obviously, the Palisade's probably going to have higher ground clearance than what the Carnival's going to have. So mm-hmm. there's that option in terms of that. If you're a family – like for you, Mick, you know, with a family of five is a great option to go for something like that. You can take it off a road. You know, you've got that You've got that ability. The rental fleet's probably the carnival might still be that way to go, but yeah, the the Palisade is is a is a good option to give you, you know, that's the thing I loved about the Forester is that little bit higher off the ground, easy to get in and out of. Um, yeah, it's yep. it's it's a tough call. Like which which way do you go? Like the new carnival's really sexy. The Palisade's mm. something we've been waiting for and wanting for a while. Look, yeah, it's 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 a tough call. I mean, they're both great cars. Mm. Um, but I think the thing is that they affect almost two different markets. People that would buy a Carnival may not necessarily buy an SUV I and, and vice versa. If you're using the eight seats all the time, Carnival, for sure, because the access is better. If you're going for the occasional third row usage, but you just have a family that wants the the more space um, within yeah. the, the first and second row. I think that's where the Palisade really comes in. And with the, you know, the odd occasion, you might be, you know, taking um, your kids' friends to sport or something like that. That's where the third row really comes in handy. Um, but I think it this is probably the, the occasional third row use, but, large, but in general, you just want a larger vehicle. Um, to drive with a carnival, yeah. If you're using eight seats all the time and you still need to carry a lot of crap, that's the that's the one you go for. It'll be interesting to see how much it can tow as well. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can see this as a as a horsey family type um, mm. type car, maybe, or maybe it's just going to be jet skis and um, picnic stuff. But it is a very very nice looking car. Yeah. So it can tow 5,000 pounds. So let me do the quick... 2,300. 23, there you go. So it's not amazing, but it's okay. Still good enough. A couple it's, of jet skis. It's, you wouldn't be towing caravan with that. It's almost Prado competitive. Yeah. So I reckon that's probably the market too because Prado's not really... I mean, they do have off-road capability, but... I don't think the majority of Prado owners are taking advantage of that capability. So something like this with more car-like handling is probably going to do quite well. And looks way better. It's it's space as well. Like it's three, it's two and a half times larger than the Santa Fe with the three rows up. With three rows up, it's 311 litres. That's slightly better than my sedan. Oh, it even gives the Grand Fiat a run for its money in USB, seven USB ports. And 704 litres with two rows sitting in use. Like, that's impressive. Yeah. 
all rows get roof ventilation, um, heating and ventilated front and second row seats. Um, and as you said, Joel, the middle seat delete for the second row um, as a seven-seater. So I don't know. That's uh, heated and ventilated front and second rows. That's great for summer in, in Queensland. So, And between 50 yeah. and 70 gram, which is kind of the market for it, like that's... That's yeah, I think that's point. pretty speculative, though. Yeah. I, reckon, I reckon when you're getting to the top spec level, I reckon you'll be you'll be 80s. cracking that seventy mark. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but even then, it's still pretty good for what it is. Like it's yeah. in it's in that sweet spot for that kind of product. Look, and if the, the interesting thing to look at is if Hyundai do well with this and it sells well, um, I would be interested to see who follows follow suit. I would I think Ford will be watching pretty closely to see how this does because if it does well, there's a really good case for Ford Australia to go back to the to the Explorer. US and say, hey, look, this is so well, we want the Explorer. Mm. Can you look at making tooling it into yeah. to right hand drive? Like- the only thing is is that the the current the person the most recent company to to try this with a US built large SUV was Holden with the Arcadia and whilst that was a great car it didn't sell um yeah, so, it did. Is it, could, I, could it I go down real. that route? Is it going to find a market? Being a Hyundai, I think it probably. Has I think a it will. Chance. That's the thing: is that um, people so. are more inclined to trust the Hyundai for what there is in terms of the product and what it does. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Hyundai, Hyundai have pushed their their brand really well in Australia and have built a good following. That they have a good range. That if you've had uh, a Santa Fe and you want to expand, then you know the product's good. You're going to go up to it. The problem is, is that the um, for Holden that product, the Acadia, just wasn't that product that. You know, it was very different to what else was in the market. You, if you had a Commodore and yep. you wanted to buy an SUV, you know, it was it was kind of not like well, it's kind of a little bit different. Where if you've had a, yep. a Tucson or you've had a Santa Fe or you know one of those models, it, it's the natural progression to move up to the next biggest model. You know, the product's good and stuff like that. So you I know, see this evaporating. Yes, Pathfinder sales. <laughs> Because big time. once you yeah. compare it to even, the Luger, the six nine, the Pathfinder, even against this, what are they going to do? Like a really big laggard. Do you reckon they're going to eat a bit of lunch for the lower end Genesis um, with the GV? Range? I, I think the GV is. I think that's a unique market. Be a bit higher. That's that's, you, that's that's punching against the BMWs and the Audis. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's up in the RX sort of space. I think. Yeah, too. I think I think the Palisade. Even though, like in the black in the practical motoring out motoring article that we're looking at right now, in the black it looks posh. Like it, it looks like it could yeah. have a you know a, a Genesis you know have a bit of a Genesis massage with the badges, and you'd probably get away with it. I think um, on the yeah. exterior anyway, um, but I think it's definitely punching above its weight compared to the Kluger six nine is a good looking car. Um, yeah. I find it starts to look really old next to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've never been a real fan of the CX9. They, they just, that grill got too big. That nose. Have you just, driven one, though? Big grills. Has anyone been uh, you lately? I think uh, they're the king of big grills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the, the CX9, it really pushes its nose out. Like the yeah, front of it really pops yeah. out. But it's a great I thing mean, to drive. So, 
It's a big like it car. is. It's an impressive car to drive. Like I've driven driven one, um, and I was impressed by it and what it's like to drive. So look, it you know it, it's a good model, yeah. and I think you right. I think the the Palisade will probably be you know for that. Um, for that market, I think it it could be a real you know challenge up against those. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah, there's well, there's a few things like I asked some people opinions about cars, and I ask people specifically who aren't car people because their reactions are usually more immediate and less analytical. So, for example, my wife won't even touch a CX nine just because of how it looks. Yeah, um, right. Same <laughs> thing with the Acadia. She just went, I don't like that. I'm like, why? She, I don't like it. Um, I, my sister-in-law, who's had a whole run of, well, she's changed a lot of cars. She used to change cars when it was rego time. That's how often she's been changing <laughs> her cars. Um, but same thing. She got in an Acadia and went, there's, there's nothing special about this car. I don't like it. Yeah. Immediately, you know, like those sorts of decisions, they're the ones that um, the car makers have to be able to get over. And you look yeah. at something like this and I instantly like it. I look at it and go, that's a good looking car. There's no, there's no second thoughts about it. Yeah. Um, with the CX-9, as soon as you introduce a little bit of doubt, you know, you can lose sales that quickly these days. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not hard because people have got a lot of choice. But this thing, um, I think it's going to do pretty well when it gets here. Yeah. No, mm. it's, uh, thank you for listening, Hyundai. <laughs> it's uh, very happy to... <laughs> to see that and even they they seem to be continuing uh with it because uh the i20n is going to be here next year so if uh if the i30n wasn't impressive enough or a bit too big for you maybe the i20n is going to be for you so it's going to go directly against the fiesta st the poly gti um even the clio rs um yeah so it won't win too many cylinders (laughs) four it's breaking the mold that's it so it's um yeah so no set details um even in terms of engine so um whilst the i30 uses the the two liter turbo petrol um yeah they expect the veloster 1.6 so out of that turbo which i'm currently driving at the moment um that engine in a smaller car I think um, yeah, it could be could be pretty exciting. I it think. Will pretty... look. And uh, yep. yeah, yeah. So... I, I love the Veloster and the one point six. Same in the the one point six in the Cerato GT, which is obviously a much larger car. That's that's a pretty fast car. Yeah, really. You can yeah. really hustle that thing, and it's much larger it than feels this. Feels so... nimble. <laughs> yep. So the end for the i20 is going to be an absolute hoot what i've noticed they don't talk about here and i haven't heard have you guys heard if the rest of the i20 range is coming or are they just bringing the end line it's been no further discussion i'm not 100 so yeah because i'm i'm wondering how they're going with like I've, I've been watching the numbers on the uh on the venue and they haven't been massive so obviously no, the venue is their entry the their entry car yeah and I, I, I actually, I've seen a few up here. I've seen a few up here. Maybe um, they're all going up there. <laughs> and most of, them, most of them have been the base models too. They haven't yep. been the um, the higher spec ones. But, you know, that used to be a pretty consistent performer for them, the, the, the Accent. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering if they're going to bring the i20 back. I'd, this one looks good. Like the, obviously the i20 is uh, the end models uh, um, a lot more exciting, but I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to plug that, that segment again, because I think they need it. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world at the moment. So maybe Hyundai are just playing it a little bit coy at the moment. Yeah. Um, with their lineup, because look, they've been on a pretty hot streak at the moment with what they've been launching and what they've been putting out, um, probably with exception to the venue. Um, and so they've been, mm. you know, they've been afforded the ability to, you know, to to play around with what comes out here. And obviously, the Palisade is is a positive step. But um, I think with the world the way it is, they're they're just feeling the way and going well. What what are people wanting? Are small cars going to be it, or you know, where where do small vehicles go? Because we've seen with Ford as well, even with the Focus RS. In the smaller vehicle segment, everyone seems to be reevaluating what they're doing, um, and I don't know if that's yeah. because of um, the EU restrictions. Which are when when you're talking about the uh, the average CO two emissions, that actually gets really hard for the smaller cars to actually meet versus the larger cars. And yeah. so I think that's probably could be the area where maybe the end can can get under the radar for a few things but in terms of the rest of the the lineup and um for not just hyundai but a few other brands as well they're they're just um they're not racing to you know yeah to, easy easy to put take it out. careful yeah well um, i mean they've still got um what else have they got coming out the i30 sedan is coming as well mm-hmm. to replace the elantra and i mean the fact that they're replacing the elantra is showing a bit of courage because the elantra wasn't selling very well despite i quite like the um the elantra the, the last design was pretty polarizing but the the basics of the car were quite good yeah. um the new one looks interesting as well but again a very polarizing design they they've got the new sonata coming as well so i guess they're not really short on product no, no not at all might be being and, a little bit greedy and, and there. they're in the best yeah. position to to experiment um, because of the position they have in the market. And um, so yeah. I think that's I'm, – I'm really happy to to see them play around with what that lineup means and, and substituting some models out and, and bringing some new ones in um, to – you know, to, to keep refining that formula. If they just kept it the way it was, you you know, all of a sudden they're they're out of the top ten um, vehicle sales because you know the lineup gets a bit stale and um, they didn't you know yep. get brave enough when they could have been. So now's the best time for them to be playing around with this, to be playing around with what options are in the end. I'd love to see the Veloster N. Um, yeah, and, that'd be good and, to and now that they've got the DCT sorted out because the Veloster N has that DCT, can we finally have the i30N in the DCT as well? Because um, that's been teased for like the last 12 months now. Um, and no, it, and you're both lazy. <sighs> both of you. <laughs> I've got arthritis tell, in both tell my knees. Tell that to the entire market that's out there. <laughs> Still that's They're but all I'm lazy. So- you're all lazy. No, see, I'm excited <laughs> by the fact that there's the, the i30... Ian's going to come in in the in the dual clutch. I think it's it's cool. Like the i30 Ian's great that it becomes in manual, but the fact that they're going to bring out that you know the the, the paddle shift option, I think is great because I would probably can seriously consider buying one. Um, because I drive, like, sure, I suppose if it's a weekender, manual's okay. But 
you know, you want to be able to just, I'm just so used to Melbourne traffic now that all day. I like, yeah, I like all the day, ability, every day. Yeah, I like the ability to have that. I can't see me on my head. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I believe you. But that's, but that's, you know, if it, if it means that it opens up to a much wider market, which means I see more I-30s on the road, which means that they, you know, it encourages them to do another generation of it. That's kind of where I'm at the point now when I see certain cars that I go, ah, oh, that's just not for me. But I know in the back of my mind you that, well, that, that model needs to sell because it justifies the existence of the other cars that I really do like. Um, and so that's where I go. If the if the i30 amp, because the thing is that it, it's it's kind of doing right now, the i30 and it being a manual is doing, um, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a, a special case in that market. Um, it's kind of like Porsche still offering manual in a you know in that section of the market where everybody else is going um you know to the to the automatic you know dual clutch dual systems and, and all that kind of thing um but the thing is is that that's great but from a business sense you need to be selling volume and and having the the dual clutch will just open that that so much further apart and and everyone who's looked at a apollo gdi or a anything you know Clio for example is going to go I I never bothered with my manual license so I can't drive that and I can't even it's not even a buying consideration for me but your bus I'm sorry I said that loud (laughs) (laughs) but if you do that so yeah I think it's it's just a good way to expand to expand your market a little bit more and and give yourself a bit of a better fighting chance, even if it you know if it, even if it goes against the the purest um, side of it. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm anyway. Happy. I look for it. I, I know my daughter's going to like it because it's that that end performance blue. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing she likes color. about the i30n the the noise annoys her because it's really loud because i drove it in sport all the time um but oh i like that blue so that was again one of those instant decisions <laughs> one of those customers i like it because of that color but anyway mm-hmm. look forward to it so that one that'll be a good battle that with the gr the fiesta yeah. st and the Polo too. I quite like the Polo. I must admit, mm. it's it's not too shabby. Mm. Oh, actually, right. I saw the other day. So this is obviously the N performance, as opposed to the N line. What do you guys think about the i30 N line being an option? I I liked when they were the SR, and then there was the N performance. There was a nice clear distinction between the two there. But I saw a i30 N line the other day, and it's got similar. Um, air dam and rear volance and a few other bits and pieces that make it kind of look like the end performance, mm. but a watered down version of it. I didn't, I didn't like that. I'd like a bit of, I wanted a bit of distinction between their, their halo. And one of the reasons I like the fact that it's manual only, yeah. you look at it and you know that it's something special, but now that they've got the end line rather than the SR, it looks kind of like it. I think it sort of dilutes how special the, um, the end performance model is. What do you guys think? I, I think it's Am like just all being brands picky? with Mercedes and Audi and BMW. Yeah, with I think the, the thing is they've changed so much of it, like with the, the different models and stuff like that. I think they just kind of need to simplify it a little bit. It's kind of like um, sort of Nissan and some of their badging now. Uh, it's getting a little bit confusing. Like the, the, the SR was a good thing and then it was SR to... 
to the end. And yeah, now that they've brought that in line in, I think if they're going to go it, then they'll probably just continue with it. Um, I think it's just unification of their branding to make it more straightforward. Kind of like how the, the European brands do it. You know, you can buy a BMW 3 Series, BMW 3 Series M Sport. You can buy the M Sport 340i. Or you can yeah, you can, put an M, you can put an M Sport on a 116. Yeah, you know what I mean. But yeah, same that, same you know, thing. So it's kind of like it's incredible it's the same thing. Yeah, but it just also means that there's greater brand recognition. So it dilutes it, of course, but it also yeah. increases that consistency to people that don't know the ins and outs. And so they go, "Oh, there's that end thing. Yeah, it looks pretty sporty." And so when it comes to to shopping time, they go, "Oh yeah, I want that end sporty thing. Oh, which one fits my budget?" And that's the question. It's not yeah. really. Oh, I'm going to have to. That, why do I want it? I'm going to have to agree to disagree there. That's just like a policeman putting a Batman hat on and saying I'm Batman. <laughs> you know, it's it's not real. Heroes yeah, should be but, heroes. Everybody else should a, be trying to aspire to it. Yeah, but that's just the, yep. how the consumer market works now. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but. I think yeah. Yeah, it seems there's, like marketing by committee. There's to also me. detractors to it. Um, yep, and but... mine are right. You guys have got all the detract- detractors. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing which I can't think of um, being a detractor. This is a great segue. Um, is the <laughs> possibility that we're going to see the new Bronco and F150 sold here in Oz as a factory right-hand drive? Um, Set of vehicles. Mm. How exciting. Yeah, considering that they said all along that, I mean, the F-150 has been so well here through people that have been converting it for years, but the fact that they're talking yep. about the Bronco becoming available for that market is, yeah, it's that's massive. Mm. Like, that's really, really cool that they're going to do that. I mean, I think it would probably sell well because there's, I mean, Toyota had the, um, oh, what's the word I'm thinking of? A mental blank. The Their SUV um, off-roader for so long that did so well that there's there's kind of a hole in that market. Um, and I think the Bronco would probably be a great filler for that. Well, look at so the, the Bronco, FG Cruiser. Though. It sold pretty well for what it was. And that for me, I see that fitting a fairly similar part in that market where um, it, 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 you've got the iconic Homet, like the iconic payback to what came before it but with all the capability and you know modern twists that a, a younger person or even an older person who had one in the past wants um, so you have that nostalgia trip mixed in with some actual practicality um, yeah I I can see it <laughs> yeah, being I don't know like a, don't you reckon isn't the Bronco is on the Ranger platform right I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So in this so we're looking at that car expert um article. Which is effectively um, a screen grab from a presentation. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. So this is uh, and Paul Marrick said in this particular article. So Ford Bronco is built on a modified version of the Ford Ranger T6 platform, which is sold in right-hand drive across the world. So Ford Ranger T6 platform is our Ford Ranger, right? Yeah, but what I want to know is that is this change like what does this mean in the future? Because isn't that Ranger platform the one that's shared with the Mazda? 
and that's changing soon because Mazda's going to Isuzu. Yeah, because the BT one hundred and fifty is going. The BT fifty is going to the Suzu platform. So yeah. So I don't know what that means for the platform moving forwards. Um, well, Ford will still Ford, Ford will still will still use that Continue same that platform because yeah. they they redevelop the Ranger for the US market. So yeah, okay. the Ranger over there is not what we get here. It's right. a very different yeah. model. So whether or not it's the same platform as what we're getting here and whether it's just the modification or everything else around it. Um, But, yeah, looking at that, the IMG market, which the Bronco and the F-150 are marked for, um, show that there's a potential for its international market, which is Australia, Mm. New Zealand, India, South Korea, Thailand, Malaysia, the Middle East, Africa, and ACAN. Um, So so how how does that fit into the domestic picture with the Everest? Seems like the Bronco is... Well, it's going to be. I see it, I see it's it's a shorter like an FJ Cruiser because the FJ yeah. Cruiser was built off the the same as the the Prado, and it fits a slightly different thing because you're talking about the the Bronco being a a two door vehicle versus the Everest. Um, oh, is it? Yeah. So that's where it's a it's a shorter. Style, so it's kind of basically without the 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 suicide doors on the FJ Cruiser. That's exactly where I sort of kind of I see where it fits in. Um, where the Everest obviously is a more family orientated vehicle. Um, so think of the Bronco kind of like more along the lines of Wrangler, but probably if it was to sell, yeah. maybe in much higher volume than the Wrangler. Um, if it's price right, <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, yeah, I don't know. same with the F one fifty. Like the F one fifty, in this article they say, and I and I don't doubt it because it was all I saw when I was over in the states was um, it's been the best selling car in the US for the past thirty seven years consecutively. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like they sold in the USA just under nine hundred thousand cars last year, more than double um, the nearest SUV. So yeah, I think if it sells. If it sells here, which um, <laughs> it really makes me wonder why they've been selling so many for so long. Why haven't they pulled their finger out and made it right-hand drive earlier? Because they're making same, money, I guess. Same, but, it's the same with the Mustang. It wasn't yeah. until the Mustang became to a point where it got into they planned enough in advance that the S550 would be designed and built so that it could be built on the production line as a right-hand drive. Mm-hmm. So I don't think don't, they have the Don't doubt how US-centric Americans are. I've And, and I, I <laughs> oh, yeah. love all of my American friends, but there are some of them where their global view is very, very different. Um, I, I remember one well, you watch the, person when I first met them. You watch the Nightly News. They don't have any world news. Yeah, so they're like I remember one person I still – can't believe it that I got asked this question. It's like, oh, so you get American movies too? And it's like, oh, <laughs> yes. Um, so that's so that's just one or two. So don't so don't underestimate um, parts of it where they don't consider the rest of the market because don't forget they've got three hundred million people there. So um, selling a yeah, considering making a truck for a twenty-seven million people that yeah that's. You don't think that would go too high up the the priority list? Um, 
But, you know, given how popular Ram has been, you know, they're selling over 300 cars a month for the last few months. Um, I think it sort of shows that perhaps the, the Australian market is ready um, for some more big trucks to, to land and uh, make an impact, particularly at the right price. I think there's a lot of people with old F-250s that they've held on to for a couple yeah. of years. <laughs> that's right. They'll be at the stage ready to upgrade if an F-150 crosses our shores, that's for sure. A uh, interesting and completely pointless tidbit, the uh, the Ram 1500 V8 5.7 litre Hemi has mm. better fuel economy than its um, turbo diesel equivalent on the highway. Wow, uh, that's, I think I noticed that last time. That's yeah. a bit of a worry. I don't understand how they do that, but that's pretty amazing for a truck that's oh. so big. I saw some the other day. We've got a, a dealer in Nambour, and they've got a whole mm. bunch of them. And I saw the yeah. fuel economy. I'm like, I had to read it twice and check three stickers just to make sure I had it right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just, just don't drive the petrol one around town. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, it's it's one of those ones where, yeah, hook up a horse float and drive on the highway to the – and that's sort of, you know, what they're there for. Um, yep. But no, I bring on more American vehicles. I love it, but I'm biased. So that's a. Uh... <laughs> well, look, let's uh, let's jump on to the next uh, bit. Um, so those are uh, California Volkswagen um, like camper vans we spoke about a little while ago. Um, yeah, they're all sold out. All gone. Done. That's it. Um, so the 30 limited edition, limited edition vehicles. Shows selling online works. Yeah, they sold out in nine hours. So I can guarantee 30... you 15 of those will be in Noosa. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll be listed online as those rent out ones um, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yep. But no, so, yep, that's good. I thought it was a good little uh, follow-up uh, just to... They're a bit we, too we, a market we for wicked campers. Yeah. <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't too sure how that'd be, uh, be re- received, particularly at the price. But, um, but yeah, there you go. All gone, all sold. Gone, yep. Yeah, and what did it say? Uh, it was a couple of hours, was it? Or nine oh, yeah, hours. Nine so hours they yeah. So look, it's it wasn't yep. super fast. Let's let's you know we've had other cars sell out faster than that online. But for a van that's pretty niche, yep. that's you know it's not bad. Mm, I thought what was interesting too in this in this release was about the um, the Volkswagen Australia um, website has been upgraded now to make it easier for you to purchase online, which is, um, I haven't seen anybody else really focusing on that so far. I haven't had a a great deal of a look into it, but you would think people would be making it as easy as possible to buy cars at the moment. So I'm I'm wondering how they actually do that. I assume they refer you to a local dealer and the sales made that way. So know, typically like in the past, what's happened change. is um, the you put your deposit down, you then select which dealer you want to have the car delivered through. So obviously you, most mm. people pick their closest dealer. And then the financing and settlement of payment is done directly with the dealership. So they'll go, yep, cool. Are you financing through us? Or you bring your own financing, do the transaction, and then pick up the car. That's kind of how... 
typically um, it's done, but the option specking and, and placing the deposit is all just done through the website. Because I think, I can't remember if it's changed since last time I looked at it, but there were some funny things around doing financing online for vehicles. There was just some rules against it back when um, yeah. I was doing some work in that space, um, which sort of limited the ability to do that. And that's why it's typically just been um, contrained. Oh, A referral point, to- really. Yeah. Um, but, you know, also within the current structure of how dealerships and, and distribution works within vehicles, it's it's probably the only way, they, the best way they can do it right now um, because they still have to, um, you know, obviously there's a gr- an agreement between the manufacturer and the dealer on, you know, the, which prevents the, um, the manufacturer the from, selling from selling the vehicle. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's a uh, final point on the end there too. In the same release, uh, transporter van update from the fifth of June. Mm. So the T six point one also includes Volkswagen's venerable transporter van range of workhorses. Due to factory restrictions derived from the worldwide COVID nineteen pandemic, Australian vehicle arrivals have been delayed, with van models arriving around the same time as passenger vehicles in the range from November. Mm. So that's that's quite a wait too, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm sure I'm sure there's plenty of stock about. I'm I'm, I'm going to have a look later on at the Volkswagen website and have a bit more of a poke around mm-hmm. at that and have a bit of a look because obviously one of the benefits when you go to dealers is they'll have stock on hand and give you demos and um, better deals and you can talk to them specifically about getting a a better price. I'm wondering how much commitment you have to make to a price before on the website before you can get to the next stage. Anyway, I'll play with that later. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, um, <laughs> who knows with borders the way they are. Um, and, uh, particularly with uh, Victoria not helping the situation. Um, thank you. Yep. Um, but it seems like Land Rover is uh, revving forwards with uh, Threadbow by doing a bit of a partnership. I guess a good way to to highlight the the capabilities that Land Rover vehicles can do in uh, various Alpine situations. Um, but yeah, so it looks like uh, what is it? The I'm trying to read. I missed the missed the spot where what they're doing. Um, can you guys see it? Oh, they're doing it's going to be fleet. cold anyway, whatever's happening. <laughs> a fleet of Land Rover's most capable vehicles have become part of the team at this year's upcoming snow season in Threadbow. In preparation for the season, resort crew are taking advantage of features for ideal for navigating the snow with low-range gearing, active electro- electronic differentials, hill descent control, Land Rover Discoveries, and Discovery Sports are well and truly right at home in Threadbow. The new Defender will be added to the Threadbow family later in the year. So that that last line says it all. The new Defender will be added to the mm. Threadbow family. That's a great mm. advertising for Land Rover. Yeah. Putting taking the Defender up there and putting it on their fleet to to show people and have it up there. That's a smart move indeed. To just to to, to for people that are going up there to ski and whatever else from New South Wales effectively because Victorians at the moment we're probably not really allowed to go up there um, due to a few. Um, <laughs> People have been a bit stupid and uh, have ruined it for everyone else. Um, that's a great opportunity for 
for people to see the new um, Defender up there, to see it in person, to have it on display, to be using it amongst the resort. Yeah, smart move indeed because it'll it'll take it to the masses. More people will be able to see it and experience it than they may see of knowing that it's out and seeing it in dealerships and stuff like that. So yeah. I think... So I uh, feel um, Land Rover intended the Defender to be there from the very beginning. I think um, with the COVID-19, it's probably delayed some of the earlier yeah. arrivals because in the earlier part of the um, the press release it says this year represents milestones for both land rover launching the new defender the most capable land rover ever created and threbo launches the new merits gondola australia's only alpine gondola so i think if covid19 didn't happen the new defender would have been there from the very beginning of the season to really and that would have been the first show the, the rest campaign. of the range is the, yeah. the other well, models it's, in it's, their range it's, at it's the same not time bad that they have other products that are obviously can yeah. do the job um, they have a big range is meant to do yeah um, but obviously, yeah, the uh, the focus probably was within from the very early point was to, to highlight the new Defender. Um, so hopefully it doesn't take too long for those to arrive and um, so they don't miss the season. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be, I thought it was interesting too how they, um, how they focused on the, so the start of this um, press release, they're talking about the Snowy, uh, snowy Hydro Scheme uh, succeeded due to a few factors, intelligence and ambition, the workers' bravery and Land Rovers. Mm-hmm. Now, I always took the Snowy Mountain Scheme as being a hallmark of the um, Toyota history and the introduction of the Land Cruiser. But it seems like here they're talking about from 1948 they were playing with Land Rovers. So maybe Land Cruiser, they were, they were later than that. I think they were late 50s or 60s. I'm going to have to have a bit of a sneak around that one too. Yeah, maybe maybe it was a mix of both. You know, not everyone is always into one brand. Maybe it was a, a mix of both that were actually in it. So, yeah, I would imagine the Land Rovers would have been part of the exploration. Tell a marketing story. <laughs> you never know. I'll go and have a snoop around in that one. Yeah, dig up some uh, was it uh, skeletons in the closet and see what we turn up. Yep. <laughs> All right. So let's um touch on a couple of bits and we'll uh, smash through some international news but first one um if uh if r8s are your thing from audi uh the new updated r8 coupe and spider are set to arrive uh 449 kilowatts from the v10 performance quattro zero 103.2 seconds um oh, slow over three seconds yeah. <laughs> and look at that perfect uh audi if you're listening perfect uh 30th birthday present um because they're saying they're arriving in dealers from july 24th which is my birthday so oh, your uh, birthday. i'll take the v10 rear wheel drive thank you um, are you 30 on that date ash yes well mick how old do you feel right now I'm 32, mate. How old are you? Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to be honest and say I'm 42. So, yeah. It's, I, it's, that, uh, it's that Queensland Sunshine Coast sun that really does it, you know, does the... No, I'm 32, but I've had Alzheimer's for 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> but how good is that? All right, look in that colour code. That colour is just stunning. So it's like a really... It's like a royal blue. I mean, yeah. a, a more specific, you know, a better name for it, but... I've never seen an R8 in that colour combo. No. Um, 
I think it. I, I did good. see the. I did see the current model. Um, I don't know if the guy just picked it up or not, but his family met him at the servo on the highway the other day, yeah. and just watching the family get out and see his car. Yeah. The, the wife, the kid, like the, the son, he was about sort of 13. There was a little girl. She was about sort of between seven and eight, that sort of age. And they all just had their mouths open and their eyes open. They're like, oh, my God. And I was sitting next to him, parked in a car, trying to not go, oh, my God. But I was on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> they just look so good in person, these cars. Yeah. I just, but yeah. How good is it that they're doing the real drive and the, the normal R8 V10? Uh, like yeah. That's, that's so great. This is, the, this is part of um, the... It's it's like one of the only ways to officially get the R the rear-wheel drive. Um, I know that people in the past have you know taken out the the front diff and disconnected it just to make it a rear-wheel drive. Um, but this is kind of like a, a special edition, which you won't have that Quattro badge on the front. Um, but I want to know which would you opt for? Do you go the the rear-wheel drive, which has three hundred ninety-seven kilowatts of power and five hundred newt? 40 newton meters or do you go for the performance uh quattro which is all-wheel drive where you get 449 kilowatts and um 20 more newton meters which uh which all way will. do you go all will yeah what about you Mick? i wouldn't go either because they're both automatics <laughs> <laughs> i'm out <laughs> Well, uh, if I had to choose, I guess I'd get one. I get the real drive. Just okay. um, yeah. So I yeah. Look, all wheel drive's good. Um, I like real wheel drive better because I I think it gives you a little bit more adjustability and a little bit more threat of things going wrong, mm-hmm. which gives you better achievement when it goes right. Yeah. But that's just me being old fashioned. Same reason I like tra- um, manual transmissions as well. The opportunity to stuff it up gives me more satisfaction when I don't stuff it up. Hey, love living on the edge. <laughs> yeah, but you millennials just like getting shit uh, stuff for free. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't complain about that. Um, all right. So, last bit of local news um, for tonight. Tonight, recording anyway. Um, Lexus and Mark Boris, Mr. Boris himself, uh, partnering to support small business innovation and entrepreneurs with a new Lexus and mentored grant. Um, so, obviously, with uh, COVID 19 um, limiting, you know, it, as much as it presents opportunities, obviously, it, it, it takes away um, chances to do sort of other things as well and so um there's a hundred grant a hundred thousand dollar grant initiative aimed to help up-and-coming entrepreneurs take control of the journey at a time when they need it most um so there's four twenty-five thousand grants available for winning applicants um yeah look pretty good nice thing to do yeah i think it's a it's a good idea to show a, a you know a kind of support that um you know, it's it's helping people get up and, and do something else. It's not just a here's something and, and that's the end of the story. You know, it's creating more um, motion, more activity, and that's the kind of thing that you're going to need in not necessarily post-COVID because we're not there yet, but, you know, people need to get up and running and keep going rather than just get something to get them 
past the end of the next day. I like these type of things where they have grants because it promotes people to do more stuff and, you know, creates motion and development. Mm-hmm. Um, I reckon it's a, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good story. Yeah. I'm just trying to uh, look up exactly what type of um, things they're looking for. Um, so it's <laughs> the criteria. It, it's it a lot be- of stuff. Yeah, it needs a lot of stuff, but it doesn't really tell you that much either. Um, so you need a business plan to be submitted, a, an outline how the grant funding will be used um, through to see through innovation. Um, yeah, so... So it's basically yeah, it seems, the Shark Tank. Seems, yeah, it seems to be pretty open as well, which you know is pretty nice as well. But look, you've got to be uh, you got to move pretty quickly because the uh, press release came out on the twenty second of June and they close on the fifth of July. So blink and uh, you'll miss it. So um, <laughs> not bad. Yeah, yeah, you got to hustle. Think about uh, throwing something together for that. That's pretty good. I like my chances. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, Look, make an application too long and people will be put off by it. Doesn't matter how good the payoff is, and so I automatically think, oh well, it gives that. That means you've got an even better chance if you've got a good idea um, to put through as well. So, yeah, it, it is. It is interesting though, isn't it? Because they they talk a bit a lot about. Um, essentially just starting a business but not about you know not a particular field or anything there's a lot of um there's a lot of awesome it it looks like they've used a managerial um word generator um dartboard (laughs) Um, so you know innovation and sustainability and all those sorts of things that you know you, you need to put in um in a relevant modern um yeah piece of um of press communication mm. um they got live events and a few other bits and pieces there's uh, a little social media involvement 60 second videos and audio pitches and and things like that you know live events it seems <clears throat> um you know it's it's almost like it's more about the event than what they're trying to um what they're trying to achieve like yeah. they haven't stated an end goal which is something you would normally have is they're trying to do yeah. xyz you know trying to get yeah. okay come up within with a solution for the recycling problem or yeah. yeah it's 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 quite open so and, um, and it does look like you need to be when i think of like startup entrepreneur i think of someone who has an idea and is needing to um needs a little bit of seed funding at the beginning to to get that rolling but this you know they're asking for abns they want business plans they want quarterly kpis set against it and those kpis need to be reviewed and if and they say in the terms if you don't meet the quarterly kpis if you win this they'll terminate your mentored subscription they'll terminate the lexus lexus partnership and terminate the continued access to lexus and or mentored personnel um that's yeah. just that's part of a business thing it shows yeah, it just reads be- pretty brutally when it's like oh we're trying to help down and out people but it's like i don't know i think it's a nice it just thing shows that you need to be serious about your business well exactly that's the sort of the stuff that you're side. doing on a quarterly basis anyway if you're running a, running a business well that's a no-brainer like yeah, you, it gives you the focus yeah. to keep moving forward rather exactly. than going oh thanks for the 25 grand see you later mm. um 
but if they're and that's really part of a mentorship is is learning how to to get the most out of your business and and doing it properly so that you're you know you you building not just for six months it's for six mm. years sixty years onwards you know the business is there for for a reason. The only thing I would change is that you just put the um, the KPIs as part of if you're selected to be a winner, you get to work with the the mentor team to set those KPIs. Um, so to ensure that they're realistic, they're, they're measurable, and they could actually be achieved um, to get an end result at the end. Because um, if you ask to set your own KPIs, <laughs> sometimes it can lead to pretty uh, disastrous results or not, you know, achievable or too easy to achieve at the same time. And that's time. part of what the mentorship's about is to learning to how to set your business up so yeah. that you can keep working towards your KPIs yeah. and stuff like that. It's just, yeah, the way that they put it. But anyway, I, I think let, let's not let it uh, detract from um, the actual grain itself. I think it's yeah, quite it's a nice. Gr- it's, a gr- it's a nice little bonus. It. Let's just say yeah. it's a nice little bonus. It seems to be a really hastily put together one. Um, but, you know, oh. <laughs> I I don't know if it's hastily put together. I think it's um, it's very long and well crafted. Um, but our ability to establish the end goal out of it, I guess, is the is the concern. But I mean, this well, statement here is probably the closest the 22nd to it. And the yeah. and the entries close two weeks later. Um, usually for you gotta be on your game, usually mate. Usually, if they have about a month or anything. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So they're looking for emerging talent who are working on initiatives to take control of their journey, whatever the hell that means, and improve the lives of those around them. That's a bit more easier to see, especially in the sustainable or innovation space. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't think that's a pretty, <laughs> a, a particularly useful criteria because just about anything can fit into that because I don't think those statements mean a great deal. Innovation, so anything you you're thinking more, of is new. Uh, loose with your KPIs as well because you go, well, your criteria wasn't that great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, even uh, it doesn't have to be sustainable and innovative. You can be sustainable or innovative. So you can be innovative, but just completely forget about the sustainable and just like, who cares? Yep. <laughs> let's just yep. innovate, innovate, innovate. Uh, but anyway, so you could have a carby fed V8 city car. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, let's let's probably let's talk about because this is probably a, a really good connection. Um, and it's probably the key bit of international news I want to talk about before we'll probably uh, um, wrap this one wrap this one up. But innovation and sustainability, I guess, you know, isn't something that Tesla's doing right now because so Tesla have been included for the first time in the in the JD Power survey um, in, in the US. And if you're not familiar with the JD Power. Basically, they in this survey they interview um, buyers of cars about their ownership within the first ninety days. Um, so they ask for any, you know, what problems did they encounter during that time, and then each brand is then ranked on the number of problems experienced in the like per one hundred vehicles. So problems per one hundred, and um, so at the top of the list, and, and keep in mind this is a US focused one. Um, so right at the top, you've got Dodge and Kia at 136 problems per 100 vehicles in the first 90 days. Um, you've got Genesis at number five with 142. Way down the list, you've got 176 uh, problems for BMW per 100 cars. Porsche at 186. 
And then all the way down, not even making it onto the, the brand ranking list, is Tesla at 250 problems per 100 vehicles, um, which is pretty pretty staggering. Um, but uh, you, I, I, you know I can't see any in this or, list. Or is this, you know? Well, I'm surprised that I can't see Uber because apparently their brand reputation is very <laughs> <That's> high. <right. laughs> um, I, look, it's <clears throat> Tesla do a lot, um, and this is kind of goes back to the thing you were talking about with Dyson and the like before. You know, they're they're starting from ground zero, yeah. building cars. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the cars they're building are quite innovative um, and sustainable, um, but the quality issues with the manufacturing is their biggest problem. Yeah. Now, <laughs> the problem with this article and with this survey <clears throat> is the fact that the the initial quality study, uh, when I first saw this, excuse me, when I first looked into the JD Power um, initial quality study a few years ago, I found out that these problems that they're reporting aren't necessarily things like oh, a bolt fell out or my headlight doesn't yeah. work. These can be anything from I can't figure out how to connect my phone to Bluetooth to um, why is my back windows not auto up down. Yeah. You know, these aren't necessarily things where the where the product doesn't actually work or has become unreliable. It's just where the owner has decided that they've got a problem with it and they return it to the dealer. So possibly a bit unfair to, to judge the quality of the reliability of a particular product based on the JD Power surveys, even though I actually got a dealer, uh, what was he, a Kia dealer? No, the Hyundai dealer in Noosa, he tried to tell me about how fantastic the JD Power um, quality results were for Hyundai. And I'm like, yeah, man, but that's American. He goes, yeah, I think it might have been America, but <laughs> I, mean, I guess that that kind, that kind of shows the <clears throat> the risk of using some of these statistics. Yeah. You've got to understand what the study's about, mm. and so then do, base the weight of that particular study. So they on do it. talk about. So they redesigned the survey this year, and so now. It's, it's not a short survey, that's for sure. So it's 223 questions long, with nine categories. Holy so it cow. goes from infotainment, features, controls and displays, exterior, interior, <clears throat> uh, powertrain, seats, driving experience, climate, um, as well as driving assistance. And so what um, key things that came out and, and look, I'm not really surprised by this because I know that my experience with these certain things that I'm about to mention haven't been great either in a lot of cars. So one, um, so one, so one of the most troublesome things is <laughs> infotainment. So voice recognition, Android Auto and Apple yep. CarPlay connectivity, touchscreens, onboard, na onboard navigation, and Bluetooth issues. That's Old pretty much my experience car. with most cars anyway is that voice yep. recognition doesn't work it's crap android order and apple carplay if it if it's not there sometimes it can be intermittent um touch screens yep i get it onboard nav yeah that usually sucks um and bluetooth <laughs> that's you know there's so many things that can 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 contribute to bluetooth issues now when you take that into context now there's and i saw a good comment from somebody else going um that this isn't a long-term look of ownership. So this isn't talking about no. owning a car for five years where you'd go, Toyota shouldn't be towards the middle. You'd think that Toyota, based on 
everyone's collective history of Toyota should be that it's one of the most reliable over a long time. Um, but yeah. this is looking only at the first 90, 90 days. And also things when it comes to issues, whether it is about quality or, um, or usability, you've also got to take into account that perhaps if for a Dodge, you might be way more forgiving about creaks and rattles compared to owning a Porsche that creaks and rattles within the first 90 days. Yeah. Because the owner will be going, geez, that shouldn't be happening. I'm taking it back because that's a problem. <clears throat> Where if you're buying a Ram, you probably go, yeah, that's a, this is par for the course. This is a commercial vehicle. Um, yeah. And so that's where you, you have to take that into account. And then if you put Tesla into the mix, it is, and, and I've spoken about this before, where how you drive a Tesla is completely different. The learning curve is higher. The way you enter the car, you have an app that is your primary key, particularly for the Model 3. Um, all of your your key controls from air conditioning to windows, door locks, all that is through a touchscreen interface. Now, even taking away the fact of is that better in terms of ergonomics and typical user experience and ease of use. But that is a huge departure from what most people buying a Model 3 are probably used to at all. And so, yeah, yeah, they're probably going to make a couple of calls into the Tesla dealership because they go, oh, how do I do this? Or I've forgotten how to do this. Can you show me again? And based on how this survey works, that would fit within like a problem um, that they had to visit yep. the dealer for to get rectified. So it isn't perfect. That's the exact there. window where you complain, isn't it? Yeah. It'd be also, the first couple of days. Yeah. yeah. But it's also at the same time, like that, that's not really excusing that Tesla are still on a learning curve. Their, their production isn't perfect. Model Y um, has been plagued with a, a number of issues based on other reports and everything like that. So that's obviously not to be, um, you know, dismissed, overlooked yeah. or dismissed. Um, but also, yeah, you do have to keep in mind that that's probably why Mercedes-Benz and Porsche rank so poorly against other brands um, where you'd think, oh, well, Porsche also has a great reputation for for reliability over the long run um, and making a good quality vehicle. So, you know, Land Rover at 228 problems per 100 vehicles, you go, yeah, I'm not really surprised, maybe. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's certainly um, an interesting point anyway that um, it is where it is. But, yeah, it is all about having to take that, those things into account and applying a little bit of critical thinking to it because it obviously makes a great headline. It's yeah. a good thing to, to make a headline grab about. Um, it doesn't hide the fact that there are probably some issues, you know, actual genuine quality issues that fit into that. Um, but, yeah, you still need to apply a little bit of uh, critical thinking uh, to it. Yep. I think I think if you extended this out to maybe a three year yeah. survey, the results would look nothing like these results. Absolutely not. Yeah. It would, yeah. I don't know whether I mean I I can't say whether or not Tesla would be any better because you know when you hear when you hear things about Tesla, it's it's they're essentially America's tall poppy. Um, mm. 
anything that's wrong, you'll hear about. Yeah. Whereas a lot of other manufacturers will have, even if they have similar problems, you're not going to hear it at the same volumes as you would with Tesla because everybody wants to cut Tesla down irrespective of how mm-hmm. good or bad they've been performing. Yeah. It's always the loudest and it's always defended the loudest by the Tesla Arty as well. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's, uh, that's a problem <laughs> with being famous, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Joel, any, um, any, uh, before we wrap up the show, any key things uh, about motorsport news this week we should know about or hear about? Yeah, so uh, one of the great things that we've heard this week is that um, the Guinness Book of Records has decided to honour that Jessie Combs is now officially the fastest woman on earth. Um, Jessie, who most people will know from her time on Mythbusters and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, tragically passed away um, in an accident um, in 2019 trying to beat um, one of the uh, records of um, speed where she managed to average uh, some some good speed, but it was unfortunately killed on one of her runs. Um, yeah, they have basically certified that she reached the achieved average speed of 522.783 mile an hour before the crash. Um, her top speed was 548, um, and the official record is based on a two-way average. But, yeah, they have um, basically uh, allowed for that to happen. So that that's pretty amazing. Um for her to be awarded that, you know, sort of post post her passing, but mm. yeah, yeah, that uh, that came out during the week, so that's really really good. And uh, for her friends and family yeah. and and fans, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, she was a uh, yeah, she was. They broke the mold when they made Jessie. She was extremely talented, extremely passionate about it, and just loved it. Um, yeah, I I've known her known of her for years and really enjoyed she used to do this great tv series for auto blog called the list and her and patrick used to do this great series of of shows about different things to do with cars and yeah i kind of even more fell in love with this woman and who was just you know every car guy's dream wife i suppose to a certain degree she was just an amazing person um and extremely talented and really passionate about what she did so for her to be officially awarded this fastest woman on earth is um yeah is 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 pretty amazing and for context so, uh 522 miles per hour um which is the record is 841 kilometers per hour which is just insanely fast yeah it's, it's crazy it's pretty pretty impressive yeah. um so yeah that uh that's great news um the other thing is supercars is back this weekend um mm-hmm. yes. they're on they're on track at at sydney motorsport park um an interesting thing that came out during the week and it was kind of um, missed and i was waiting for it to be picked up and and speed cafe ran with the story but um Traditionally, at a motorsport event, you'll have multiple photographers and journalists covering stuff for um, the various teams and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But this weekend at the event, there'll be one photographer covering the entire um, event and be providing a pool of images that'll be pushed out to teams and stuff like that. And that's Supercars official, official photographer, Mark Horsburgh. Um, Mark is a legend. 
legend and, and one of the best motorsport photographers in this country, and that's the reason why he is Supercar's official photographer. But Mark has a big challenge to get up for him this weekend. He'll be he'll be covering the entire um, event. Um, he's not allowed in pit lane. It'll be all purely stuff out on track, um, obviously with COVID restrictions and stuff like that. So, um yeah, he. It's interesting. the The article in Speed Cafe is worth reading because it talks a little bit about just some of the background of what he'll have to do and and things like that. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's on this weekend, so uh, it'll be good to see that back um, in terms of what is going on. Um, we've been missing supercars since they were supposed to run at Grand Prix. Um, we've got three races across the weekend. Um, one on. Um, Saturday afternoon, and then two on Sunday. So, um, yeah, it's good to see some motorsport, as Mick alluded to earlier. Formula One is coming back soon. Um, one interesting thing that I did read that, that came out is relation to the news is that um, DGR Penske have mandated face masks mm. uh, for all their staff. I mean, they're, most of the teams are running on a fairly low staff numbers this weekend. Um, crews at a bare minimum, no corporate staff, no PR staff, no marketing people is purely 13 people per two-car operation. So it's pretty low numbers in terms of that. And, um, yeah, face masks will be compulsory, which is great to see. I mean, America at the moment is pushing very heavily for face masks. If you've watched anything around NASCAR at the moment, virtually every driver you will see and every pit crew member are wearing some form of mask at the event. Um, the Americans are pushing very heavily for it. This is great to see that um, DGR are leading the way, and I'd like to see more teams doing that. Um, look, you know, from a photographer's point of view, it's not the best having everyone wearing face masks but this shows what we've had to go through in this period and that is a documentation of what what we're about and what's going on so i'd like to see more of it um because i think it helps everyone at the end of the day and helping to cut down this spread um but yeah well done to, to dgr for for doing this um Formula One is coming back fairly shortly. Can't um, wait. Williams have Sorry. released pictures of their new uh, livery, um, which is pretty cool. Doesn't to it see. look slick too? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, because they've had a change of sponsors and stuff. They've um, they've had a they've had a bit of a different change. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. So yeah, look, you know, uh, it's form supercars will be good to watch this week. Um, Formula One's coming soon. Uh, I'm pretty excited for for that. I'll try and tune in and watch some of it over the weekend. But before we go, I think we really need to mention Mick. You'll agree with me. We need to talk about this Arteon. Um, they're calling it a shooting, uh, yes. but it's but it's a wagon. We have to talk about yeah. this. Um, oh, yeah. It is an amazing looking thing. Uh, I really hope that um, it's talking about it's going to be a, a PHEV. So um, that's pretty cool. I'd love to see it come here. Um, the Arteon is such a good looking car. Um, it, yeah, already hot, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And just to take it into that longer wheelbase format to turn it into a wagon. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. It's been all over the media the last few days with it coming out. Um, VW, please bring it here. Please make it. Um, I think it is on the way. Um, 
I just saw it. Where did I see uh, it? Two liter turbocharged. Yeah, in Australia, the new Arteon Arteon shooting brake will be powered by the familiar Volkswagen E Triple Eight two liter turbocharged four cylinder, producing two hundred six kilowatts and three hundred fifty new meters of torque. Until we see a release from V Dub saying that it's here in Oz and that it's going on sale, <laughs> that's when we know. You're going to be holding here. your breath until. Oh, that oh, look, you know, like anything with these days in in, in COVID, things change and mm-hmm. budgets change and stuff like that. But until until we uh, we see that announcement that there's an on sale date for the Arteon wagon, uh, um, we can just hope and pray. But yeah, it's it's a work of art. Like I've Look, seen we've got quite a good a- record. Hyundai's been listening to us. Maybe Volkswagen yeah. will listen. Grand, you know. Look, and- you know, we're seeing. Oh, look, it's 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 gonna it's gonna remain a furphy until I got keys in my hand. That's yeah. That's that's the standard I'm putting down. Uh, but if you know if it's anything like a VW, feel free to pick it up. Just that wagon. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's yeah, it's good. It's good news to see, and uh, hopefully, um, yeah, it'll be something to come along. But yeah, we had to uh, had to discuss it. Had to mention that it uh, it was coming. Being uh, the wagon fans that Mick and I are. I'm just, I'm just looking at the rear three quarter of this thing, and it's just it is so good. Yeah. I, I, I like, you know, I, I am a practical type person and I like things to be functional and all those sorts of things, but this is just pure art. <laughs> it is just a beautiful car to look at. Yeah, and yeah. that in its own is its own function too. you got to have a bit of eye candy, I think. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, well. I think it's, uh, it's been a long one, but we had a lot of news to talk about um, this week and even some things we didn't get to touch on um, this week. But, look, if you have any questions, uh, send us an email, shows at dailyautofix.com. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll do our best to, to answer them, or if you have a vehicle you want us to review, just let us know. Um, but what are you in uh, this week, Mick? What are you uh, so I take the um, I take the Corolla back on Monday and swap okay. it for the base model Veloster. Cool. So the the two liter um, six speed auto, yeah, it'll be an auto. Uh, I've got an extended run for that one. I'm going to do some fuel economy play with that one and just see how I go with it. And I'll follow it up with the um, with the three pedal 1.6 turbo um, a bit later on. So mm-hmm. I can have just regular fun, um, but I'll be interested to see how that goes because most of the Velosters that I see around from the previous generation all seem to be the non-turbo versions. Um, I think perhaps that probably plays into a little bit I was saying about the Arteon as well before. <clears throat> um, you know, looking good is a function, and I'm I'm not sure how good this one's going to look as the base model. Yeah. I do like the. I think you had the as the orange one. I've got the orange this one this plain. week. Yeah. So I've got the yeah. Uh, so this one's just plain white. Yeah. So look, it doesn't look too it, bad. It, I saw it when I picked up the uh, the turbo today. Um, but yep. look, obviously with the with the orange turbo next to it, with the black wheels, obviously your eyes drawn to a <laughs> to the other It is one. kind of hard to compete. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But uh, it, it doesn't look too bad in its new shade. Yeah, I intend to play with, and I, I did this with a few other cars as well. 
so the what was it the Serato the last the end of the last generation I had one and I played with the manual transmission doing the doing the shifting yourself yeah uh, I'm gonna have a bit of a play with that and see if I can get better economy out of it using my brain rather than the transmissions brain so that that should be interesting um, but see if I can get a bit of fun out of it as well because I did find that if you force yourself to have to do the changing you pay a lot more attention to how the engines performing then you can get more out of the car and you become more involved so it's never as good as three pedals but i want to see what sort of um benefits see if i can outsmart the um the transmission and and get some better performance figures out of it but yeah we'll see how we go with that but either way i, I reckon the veloster is a good looking car um so i'm still looking forward to it it'll handle nicely too they do um they do handle a bit better than the corolla as well so looking forward to that uh, excellent. Well, I'll uh, I'll fill you in on how much fun I had though in uh, in the Veloster Turbo, um, which I picked up after Leaf. Um, so yeah, looking forward to this is the second time I've been in this, and um, I guess mm. this time now that I've grown a little bit more accustomed to it, I'm going to see how it settles into you know the daily life um see what fuel like fuel economy i can get out of it i think i had a bit of a spirited run the first time um so kind of yep. a little bit like you like going okay well realistically if you put on um a bit more of an ownership hat um which is hard to do in a yep. week um you know what what can you do when you actually have to think about well how much fuel i'm putting into it and um and balancing yeah that how much fun you have versus well i don't feel like spending 200 dollars on fuel this week i'd rather you know um, put that towards something else um which is always a bit of a tough balance when uh when you're reviewing a car and you know moving in between in a week a week sounds like a long time but it's really it, it you blink and you miss it and all of a sudden you go oh, i wish i was yeah. able to do this with it um, yeah I, I do like having a car a, a second time like going back after you're a bit more familiar with it and mm. then just just being in it rather than having to be hypercritical and pick every tiny little bit and piece yeah. out of it yeah actually live with it yeah Mm. So yeah, I'd be looking forward to that. And uh, you're continuing your time in the in the Renault, Joel. Is that right? Yeah. So I've got the Megane RS uh, until the end of the week, uh, mm. and then um, I swap into the Colios Intuos um, after that. So yeah. yeah, so that should be should be fun. Um, hoping to do a bit of a road trip with that. Um, put some put some serious Ks uh, on that. So um, yeah, that's kind of kind of the plan. So yeah, I'm intrigued to 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 see what it's like, but I'll uh, report my um, my thoughts at uh, the end of next week. Oh, excellent! Intuos, cool. what's that? Is that Intuos. middle spec, high Top. spec? Where's, where's oh, sorry, that? not Intuos, Intense. Oh, okay, right. Intense, which is at the top yeah. of the range, uh, Colios. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see how yeah, you right. go with that experience because I had that not too long ago. Um, yeah. So we see how you, yeah, how you interpreted that. Yeah, I really enjoyed when I had it previously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm intrigued to to see. So, um, so yeah, I'll uh, I'll I picked it up until probably just as we're recording next week. But cool. um, yeah, I I'm intrigued to hopefully do a bit of a, a bit of a road trip in that. But yeah, looking forward to spending some more time uh, in the. Uh, um, Magan, hopefully going to take that for a bit of a spin, maybe in the hills um, over the weekend to, to spend a bit more time uh, with it on uh, on some twisty roads. Uh, well, uh, 
don't have too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, look forward to, to see how you guys go. And um, thanks for thanks everyone for, for listening and tuning in. And, um, yeah, again, if you have any questions, send it through. Um, we'll uh, happily answer them. And uh, if you want to follow Joel at Joel Strick Photo, you can find him and all the everything that he's up to. And uh, for Mick uh, at Low Flight Tech. And, um, yeah, so thanks as always. And uh, see you, gentlemen, next week. Yeah, definitely catch up next week. Thank you. All right, see ya.